and welcome to the Rugby Bits podcast. And we are congratulating the Springboks on being the first team to win four World Rugby World Cups, being the second team to win two World Rugby World Cups um, back to back, and go, being the only team that has gone through five of the top six in order to win it as well. And the Springboks are officially gone. I checked my notes here. Bok to Bok. That was terrible um, marketing from the Springboks there. But yeah, everything else they did was fantastic. Um, Talav, joined by Sean and Cooks, we're going to review Hello, the champions. The home of the <laughs> champions. We're going to review the 12-11 win um, the Springboks had on Saturday against the All Blacks. We'll definitely spend most of the time here reviewing minute by minute. Cooks has a lot of thoughts on the 26-23 win by England for the bronze medal match. Um, and then just talk about the tournament itself and um, the World Rugby Awards and yeah, the, the road forward as well for, for, for the Springboks and for, I guess for rugby in general as well. But obviously only one place to start. Cooks, you set yourself a challenge of getting to 28 um, beers um, to honor Peter Steph's 28 tackles that he made in the finals. And you told us just before the pod started that you fell a little bit short. Oh, I did. I only got a 20 beers. So I, I hit Dion for numbers yesterday. Um, I was working on a Saturday. Which is so, outstanding. I mean, <laughs> shall take. I mean, the whole of South Africa is probably <laughs> having beers on Saturday. I think I had my first drink at about half past one. Sunday morning because obviously I was working and to come back after work. So that's the only time I had my first drink. And I mean, I had to play a little bit of catch up. Don't worry. So I mean, I didn't go to bed. I, 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 I did have a little hangover on Sunday, on Sunday morning when I woke up. But yeah, unfortunately, I only hit um, uh, Dion Free numbers. And it was funny because um, in our group, um, everyone was sitting short and Tyler was sitting. Tyler was trying to, be, to have serious conversations about the game. I kept responding with my. <laughs> Not so sober thoughts. So uh, <laughs> I did about three, and then Sean, I think Sean sent me one more. And I, but by that stage, I was flying with the Eagles. I thought, I don't think a camera should be in front of my face. <laughs> so um, <laughs> let me say, um, I'm very, very grateful. And also, I, I was slightly selfish because, I mean, I don't work normally on Monday. So whether we got the public holiday or not, I knew I was spending Monday recovering. You took an executive decision <laughs> to have Monday as a public holiday regardless. Fair enough, cooks. Like that's leadership. Exactly. The 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 perks of my job, which I I, I should actually before people chew me, is I am lucky enough that because I work most weekends, I get my Mondays like my Sundays, so I tend to have Mondays off. So I I do use it to my advantage. I tell people, my mates, especially was was celebrating with yesterday, and I said, "Oh, remember, I'm not going to work regardless. So don't 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 blame me tomorrow. Don't blame me this tomorrow morning and be like, oh, cooks, it's your fault.' I'm like, I'm Gonna be on my couch the whole day. So join me on this on, on my Peter Step to 28 PS journey or not, but I'm going. This is where I'm going. If you want to join me, you can. <laughs> yeah, Cooks, look, you you took one for the team. You tried to lead us into the celebrations. And yeah, let's see if the rest of the country will follow. I mean, the Springboks were having are gonna be having their countrywide um, trophy tour starting on Thursday, but not even sure if they're gonna make it by then, judging by Eben it's a bit haircut um, yesterday at the World Player Awards. So <laughs> At the World Rugby Awards, so yeah, they <laughs> it might be worse. Do you know the story? Do you know the story about? I, I, I please tell it. Okay, so I picked this up from little bits on social and whatnot. So at five o'clock on Sunday morning, because they were obviously all out partying at five o'clock on Sunday morning, Achis Naiman brought out the Clippers and shaved a couple of guys' heads. <laughs> this has got no hair, and. Achis Neyman and um, John Klein have like, <laughs> I don't know what they have, 
try to shave an uppercut, an undercut or something. But yeah, they got their head shaved. But it was Achia's fault. Listen, let's be honest. Are you going to argue with Achia when he comes at you with a set of clippers? No chance. A guy can reach you from anywhere. Gadget arms. Look, two things I don't want Achia Slaman to do to me. Number one, um, start a fire in my backyard. And number two, cut my hair, clearly. <laughs> is, it too, is it still too soon? It's way too soon, but... Is it also is it is it, is it too soon to ask um Erge to take four years off from the box again and just and pop back for the and during the World Cup here? Yeah. I think that's the secret remedy here for the Springboks. Do, do we do we ask Munster now or but later? I was, I was gonna say, will Munster take it? Because that means that Munster also win a title in 2027. I think that's a fair shout. That that is a fair proposition for Munster. They also get to keep Jean Klein the whole time because he won't be playing Test rugby. Because Ireland would have overlooked him. So we get to give John Klein to Munster for that full, full batch as well. I think you're onto something. Yeah. As long as they upgrade, I think, to a Champions Cup, they'd be pretty happy with that if they get it after four years. Gents, let's get into it. Um, Cooks has really given his analysis on how hard it is to reach 28 tackles. But Sean, I think the first place to start when you review the World Cup Finals, just the immense performance that Peter Steph Dutoy had. Um, I genuinely think it's one of the best rugby um, individual player performances I've seen at that level ever. Like, sort of Dan Carter against the Lions level performance, at least for a forward. Uh, he was everywhere. I think Jacques Nienobe said if there was a plastic bag that flew onto yes. the field, he probably would have tackled that as well. <laughs> That's such a great chip. He was outstanding. And it's a kind of performance that that only that you really like as a real deep rugby fan enjoy because the Dan Carter performance produces points and you can see the wow factor there. But Peter Steph Tatoy was outstanding and he didn't look like it would end after 80 minutes. He looked like he had more in the tank. He didn't once look like tiring. He put in some big hits. He was like just crunching people. I was... I was just looking at a couple of things, but I tell you what, Jordy Barrett is going to be having Peter Steph to toy nightmares for the rest of his life because there was two, twice that I remember that he crunched him. But I mean, like he basically has tackled the whole team and then a pack of forwards in 28. So it's, uh, it was incredible. It was outstanding. It was just so, and the, and the best moment for me at the very end is he was the man, his body, his power was the one that drove that mall to the ground that ended the game. Like, it was just poetic and beautiful. I genuinely don't know where Peter Steph got the energy for the 80 minutes. I mean, never mind the game itself, but obviously all of the stuff he had to do over the last few, um, like the few last few game weeks as well was just ridiculous that, he was just able to pick himself up and tackle people. And look, minor shout out to the All Blacks as well, that they were able to come up after all of those Peter Steph tackles. Like, if I was Geordie Barrett, clearly, I don't know, Peter Steph doesn't like brothers or I don't, I'm not sure if Smiley Barrett did something to Peter Steph's dad or whatever the case is, but Geordie Barrett was able to stand up after all those tackles and he needs, and I don't know, like a, a, a tenth of a gold, rugby World Cup gold medal for that at least. If, if you take Sam Kane out of the mix because he got red carded, Peter Steph Tatoy tackled every All Black twice. <laughs> I think my, my theory with Peter Steph is that he's actually working his way down the back line. So 
in the in the floor, in the World Cup final 2019 was George Ford. Now he's going towards 12 in Jordy Barrett. So the next final is going to be whoever's playing 13. So pretty much, I think that's his theory. I think they just keep shifting him down, like shifting him down a channel. But um, it was absolutely <laughs> incredible. And Jared's always made this point: is there's certain players that they actually get they get better on a rewatch. And 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 then if they if you see them live for the first time and you go, man, this guy's having a great game. The rewatch, you actually realize how insane he actually was. I mean, rewatching that game and seeing the amount of work he got through. Because remember, the 28 tackles. I think everyone orders people the 28 tackles. He carried very, very well on on Saturday as well. I mean, he almost got he almost snuck over for a try in the corner. But Tala, I think you hit the nail on the head. It was one of the great, great individual performances. One of the greatest in in the World Cup final. I think the only one you I mean, you get the Dan card against against Australia. I, I thought it reminded me a lot of the Thierry Dusutrom World Cup performance in 2011, mm-hmm. and yeah. I think it was, that's the level it was at. I mean, I mean. Three Dusutra was so good in one game. You actually end up winning Player of the Year. They're like, we don't care how good <laughs> other people's seasons were. Like, it, we, they weren't as good as him in this one game. But that's why I'm so surprised that they, they added Pierre Dutour as a fifth uh, nominee for World Player of the Year. They, they should just snuck him in there. But <laughs> I thought it, it was actually unreal the performance he put in, and it just like I remember having this debate with a mate of mine just before the World Cup, and he and he said. I'm not sure if, if, if Peter Steve is still a lock at the injury, in, to be starting with the injuries and things like that. And I said, if Peter Steve's available, he's got to be playing because Peter Steve's, if he's having a great, great game or, or gets in form, it's best play in the world. That's, that's his ceiling. That's him, on, that's him on his best day. He's the, one of the best players in the world, 2019. And an average Peter Steve is probably better than most blindside flankers in the world. But I mean, so to see him back and... And he sort of was a slow burn in the entire World Cup. And it was just getting better and better and better. The more games he played, the more he got better. It almost felt like he was almost due to put in a performance that not many players could have put in. And I, I, I do feel bad for the great John Smith. I think Steph ended the debate about <laughs> the best box number seven yeah. on, on, on Saturday. And I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, I think we'll go into legacies, I think. But I, I, it's going to be interesting now when, we, when we're looking back and looking forward at the best box of all time. Because there's a few guys now who've made the cases awkward. I mean, with two World Cup titles, but I mean, Peter Steff, it's it's actually unbelievable the performance he put in. I mean, rumor has it he's still busy tackling Jordy Barrett right now, but we we don't know. He's on that plane to Wellington, I hear. He's trying to still <laughs> get a few hits. On Imagine the two of them running around through the aisles trying to dodge each other. No, hundred percent. Apparently, Peter Steff is going to sign a contract with the Western Force just so he can, just so he can tackle Jordy Barrett for another season of Super Rugby. <laughs> he's going to keep signing with different teams. Just be like. I'm just, I just want to play the Hurricanes every year just so I can deal with Jordy a, Barrett. I can't wait for him to win the championship. A medical joker. <laughs> medical joker here and there just hopping. Peter Steph Tutoy coming to your nearest NPC team as well. <laughs> Counties Monaco, Peter Steph Tutoy. Look, I think also, yeah, it, it's going to be, it's going to be just amazing just seeing or just discussing that like in terms of legacies and stuff because I mean, yeah, it's very hard to fight someone that has had, <laughs> has played probably what six of his best rugby games and two rugby World Cup knockout series like Peter Steph has. Like he's just you absolutely know, amazing in those games. Peter Steph, like there were like two two guys that really performed this World Cup were Peter Steph and Franco Mostert, and both of them, if you guys remember the beginning of the year, like there were people saying that they need to be dropped, mm. and not play like granted they they're like slow slow coming into the mix but 
I agree with you. Peter Seftatoy is fit. He plays. He's he's basically like um, Talupe Falatau. Like he can spend four years injured, and then he's fit. You start him. You start him. Like that's just yeah. the way it is. But uh, flip, he was outstanding. That performance was incredible. And <laughs> and the best is is the look on his face. Like he seems so unassuming. Like if you say, "Listen, you made twenty eight tackles," he kind of looks like he'll just kind of like shrug and be like, "Well, that isn't that what I'm there to do." <laughs> to walk up panel doesn't matter yeah look I felt sorry for Drew Barrett at the end he was crying and I can completely understand obviously you know first World Cup final missed one of the key kicks like obviously you're upset at that most times but if he was crying off just because of the pain from being tackled at least 20 times by Peter Steph to join, I totally understand that as well like <laughs> he's completely justified in, in having that and crying because of that like New Zealand rugby must make sure that Jordy doesn't play Super Rugby until like April just to rest up from that. Like that would be completely understandable. But just going a bit wider, it was just a fantastic defensive performance from the Springboks, I think, in general. And Sean, you raised a good talking point before we started about what were the three key moments for the Springbok or what are the three key moments of that Rugby World Cup final? I think at least two of them might be big defensive plays. Like, I would submit if you have, like, three big moments. Currently, Arons is stopping uh, Rico Ioani at the corner. Um, love to hear your breakdown Broad of that watch. <laughs> Hold your horses just a little bit. Um, de Klug's, uh ankle tap, I think, was massive. Um, just stopping that momentum that uh, Dalton Papali was getting on the wing. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. One of the million of Peter Steph tackles. I can't really think of a third moment. But I think at least two of the big moments were crazy scramble tackles that um, a Springbok made. And it, that just seems like that was the big legacy or the big thing that the Springboks were able to do better than the other teams was other teams had chances to obviously beat the Springboks, but that scramble defense was absolutely perfect. Yeah, it's... I can't even think of three because I'm scared I'm going to miss one. But the the one for me, the Peter Steph Detroit tackle on Jordy Barrett when he knocked that ball on, that, that was one. And Kirtley Arons' tackle has to be in there and you know, we can pick a third. But you're 100% right on... It's not that only our scramble defense saved us. I really, really, really do feel that the moments got too big for... France, England, and New Zealand in stages. The, the pressure that we put on teams constantly in their face, constantly scrambling, constantly being there. The guys, they made errors. Like Richie Moanga dropped a ball that I'm still shocked that he dropped that ball because that, I thought that was a try. That would be a try. There was that. There was um, the Rico Iwani when Kirtley Arnsa tackled him. Like Rico swaps the ball into the wrong into the wrong hand. Why he does that, I don't know. I don't know if it's because he was running on a loop, but um, would it have changed things? Maybe not. Um, but maybe, you know. There's, you know, there's there's the pressure kicks. If you look against England, they made they made mistakes where they didn't convert. And the same against France. And it was just our pressure. Like the pressure that we did mm. it, and we were constantly in their face. And I firmly believe that with this. If this was 2019 Springboks, that the, one of those games we probably wouldn't have won. The fact that we had won yeah. a World Cup with the majority of these players, the fact that we've done this journey, we've gone through the British and Irish lines, 
we've gone through this that has changed everything about us and that experience came through and and that experience for us kind of went on to the opposition and they knew that we weren't going away like you know when a team's gonna give up and the all blacks do it to everybody they make you crumble and then they kill you like we they knew that we weren't going to give up and that we were going to be there all the time and yeah the moment got a bit too much yeah, I think the Springboks were just, I mean, they went from being probably the least efficient team um, in the red zone to being one of the most efficient, like able to just get points and to build up points and, you know, the other side stopping teams from getting points when they were in um, attacking positions in the 22. And that was probably the difference in all three matches. Just talking about the defensive effort from the Springboks. So the All Blacks had the majority of possession the whole game, even though they had 14 men. That territory 60%, sorry, possession for the whole game was 60% to 40. Territory um, for the whole game was 53% to 47 for the All Blacks. The All Blacks made 459 meters to the box 360. They they beat 37 defenders to the box 14 and made seven clean breaks to the box seven. Pretty much doubled the gain line carries, almost tripled the passes, and the the box had an 80, 82% tackle success rate to the All Blacks 85. The box had to attempt 209 tackles to the All Blacks 92. And sure. I think a big um, stat to show the Springboks defensive effort was seven turnovers, one to two. I'm sure I haven't seen the dominant tackles um, stat, but I'm sure the Springboks were close to 20 dominant tackles at least. Cooks, yeah, I think obviously this team is built on a strong defense and I mean, the roots of this team and the roots of this coach are quite clear to see that there's a defense that puts you under a lot of pressure that forces you to make mistakes, um, uncharacteristic mistakes when you're in attack. And like Sean said, like it, it, it makes the moment too big for you and some players start to do uncharacteristic things. Um, but um, with that, and obviously sometimes the mistakes don't tell all the story because you know, it's still, there's still that amazing scramble defense that the box have. Like, it becomes such a difficult thing for um, opposition teams to plan around. Like, you need to somehow try to score enough points to, you know, get past the spring box and the pressure that they cause and the mistakes that they'll cause you and they'll score off of. But you need to do it against a, a defense that just doesn't stop the whole time. Like, yeah, it's just a, a crazy thing to try and game plan against. No, hundred percent, Tyler. Because it's 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 a it's a different sort of it's a different sort of um, style of defending us, and and t teams. It's so hard to sort of mimic because the Springboks have got certain players defensively that do things no other teams can do. You can't make another Faf to click. Like there's no nines who can play the way he does. You can try and mimic him, but you can't do the havoc that he caused. But Tyler, I think for me. The way to sum it up is to actually quote Jacques Nineboy himself when he said in 2019 after we defended that incredible block against England just before halftime when he said this team has a superior discontent and a refusal to be defeated. And you, the best way to sum up for me is the, what Faf did in the last 10 minutes of that game where Faf just went on another level defensively from there was the ankle tap, there was the charge down where Faf just went on another against almost saying like we're not going to lose this game. I, I, we refuse to lose this game, we'll always find a way to make a play and make a defensive stop when we need to make it. And I think that is the key thing for the Springboks. I mean, we know how good the scramble defense is. It's incredible that the Springboks' ability to 
to concede a line break and, 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 and how quickly they are able to to get back in a position to dominate. To dominate. I mean, the All Blacks were averaging about five-second rack speed, the, the slowest they've ever had. They Their red zone efficiency went, they were, they were averaging something like 3.1 points every time in the 2022. We, we got it down to about one point, like averaging one point something, and, which is incredible because the All Blacks did beat, I mean, the All Blacks are always going to beat a ton of players. I think Talia probably beat 30 players on his own because he, he seemed oh, to be unstoppable good, eh? every time they carried. But they just have this, they just don't quit and they just always find ways to make plays. Everybody steps up to in a big way to make a play, to stop something, to, to just, they, it's, they just refuse to admit defeat and defending against them is so, so difficult. And I think it, it is an element I've always said, like, you've got to be brave against the Springboks. And I thought the All Blacks were brave. Just, those certain moments that they missed out on, I'm still adamant they should have gone for, for the corner when the Jordi Baird penalty after Kel- Colby went off. The momentum had changed. Yes. I still thought they should have gone for the corner. And they had about eight minutes to yes. go. And I was like, back the line that's been working so well. Even if you don't get a penalty here, you're good enough to get a penalty down there. Because I, I thought, and but yes, they missed. But they, and then what, what, what I love the most, after they missed their penalty, we just kept them in their 22, in their 22 until the very end, until they got the, they got the break at the end. Because, I mean, they always find a way. But still, we still managed to find a way. And the Springbok side is, they believe to dig deep the last, the last three weeks. I mean, they've always found they've done in they've always found ways in games where the France game, the, there's a period there for about 15 minutes where France could have put the game ahead. England had chances. The All Blacks the second off the were amazing. I mean, to I mean, I, I still think if Sia scored in that first minute, there the game's over. But the All Blacks found a way to claw in the game and they basically controlled the last what about 25 to 30, 25 to 30 minutes of that game in, in the second half and sort of just had all that ascendancy, but the Springboks just don't give in. It's, it's unrelenting. And you keep thinking, geez, this is also going to drop off soon. It's been three weeks. It's been two weekends of this. It's the third time now we're going back into this world. And just, it's, it, it fills me up with so much pride that, that how much it also can dig, dig deep, how much this World Cup means to them, how much it means for them to, the, to be back-to-back champions and how much they want this thing. And, and, and Sean, you, you're so right with saying that they have the experience of 2019 of winning it. So they know what it's like to see that they know what it's like to beat the Lions from one nil down when they're basically written off. These Oaks know how to find a way and they keep finding a way. And I love the fact that this weekend we almost resorted back to this is what's been, this is what's worked for us the entire tenure. I think last week, Teller, you mentioned not making the changes, sort of tried to play the same way we played against France, against England, and England sort of, but this time they were like, we're going back to our roots. Yes, we, we've developed a nice, we've developed. Attackers come a long way, but it's time to go back to what works for us. Set piece, four domination, seven one split, defend very well, and it just for me was a perfect way to start, to end the Jacques Nibar Rassi era, just how it started. And it's it's incredible the shift the Oaks put in. Like you said, how many guys made double digit tackles? I think the, the entire forward pack. And then you're looking at guys like Delendi as well. Five, I think, made about fifteen tackles, which is that is ridiculous. And just such a such a such an incredible defensive performance. Your cooks. I think we can probably wrap up the podcast there. That was like give gave me any given Sunday vibes, man. I've got goosebumps after that. Um, we <laughs> must uh, clip and keep that. I did want to just mention when you spoke about Mark Tillier, how it was so amazing. Obviously, I was we were watching him, and I was watching him closer than most other times. But he he seems to work, and then the second half he seems to up his level like when he's up against tired bodies and tired minds. But I cannot believe 
how slippery that guy is. It's ridiculous how he walks. He like runs into two forwards and then he squirms out the other side. I'm like, what is the sorcery? The funny thing about Mogtile is he, he gets a position where, like, I've never seen someone like beat so many defenders over pick and go. He just comes in like pick and go. Like, <laughs> you, shouldn't, you shouldn't have a line break from here. Like, everyone knows he's coming and he somehow managed to, to always just waggle free. I'm like, it was like the most frustrating thing. I mean, poor Kudley Arons, I know you defended very well, but he, was, he had a tough day out of being his Mogtile because... And the All Blacks at the stage are like, Jordy Barrett basically for that trial was like, just get the ball to Mogtili. I don't know how he gets there. But if, <laughs> if I can just give him a one-on-one, something will happen from here. And um, no, he was, he, was, he was absolutely incredible. Yeah, I think one more point to make about the defense is, I mean, probably a general point about the World Cup as well is, how good was Gwaka Smith? Oh my goodness. Like, he wow. has just turned himself, I think especially in the last... Post the Lions series, he's turned himself into the perfect, like, utility back row player for the Springboks. I mean, he's essentially played, I think, six, seven, and eight at different times throughout this um, World Cup cycle and played it quite well, um, doing sort of a bit of Khaleesi's job, a bit of Peter Steff's job, a bit of Vermeulen's job at some point, one, one time or, or another. Now, all three are back for this World Cup, and they all three were trusted um, as the first-choice loose trio. So his role in, in, in the World Cup was to come on and just be a total menace in the second half. So he comes on. He has, I think, about 30 minutes of play time, makes six tackles and has three turnovers. Most turnovers in the game. He has the most turnovers in the World Cup as well, 10 turnovers. He went absolutely crazy. I mean, that one turnover, I mean, with the Ches and Colby WWE F5 move that he had on Jordy Barrett, I mean, on Will Jordan. and then. Kwaka just coming in to take the ball was just typical of him. Like he, I think he made at least one key turnover to either, you know, like that was a pivotal turnover to like win the game or to secure the game in all three of the knockout games as well. Like he went absolutely boss and insane in the game. Like he made 1.7 turnovers per game. It was the most out of all of the, I think, top six or seven people that made turnovers. So he had a brilliant tournament. And in the game on Saturday, I think actually in this game, arguably Nino Benrassi were maybe a little bit late with the, with the subs. I think they could have gone on a little bit earlier because I think New Zealand had a bit more, had too much uh, momentum. And then it was starting to become a bit of panic stations at the start of the second half. But when he came on, he really helped in trying to slow down the New Zealand ball and to stop some of the threatening attacks that they had. So, yeah, Kwaka Smith's ability in the rack. But I think it's not just a one-man effort, of course. I think it's the fact that Dwayne Vermeulen in the first half is digging into those rucks and causing a menace. It's the fact that Stephen Kitsoff can make a turnover or two at, uh, when, when he gets into the rucks as well. Obviously, we know how good Polisi and uh, Damien Dialendi are in counter-racking and Peter Steph to toy himself. It's Dion Ferry as well, who had his, I think had I think he had one turnover in the game. Um, and he's also just a menace. Like the I think a lot of those players really came together to almost uh patch up the 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 the, the hole that Marco Marks left. But yeah, shout out to Kwaka Smith. He's had a brilliant um World Cup for South Africa. Tell her, I mean, you 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 know we're both big NBA fans and there's a thing um, in the NBA that it's called the sixth man of the year. So, I mean, obviously basketball is five teams, but there's always yes. that one sub 
He ends up, he doesn't start the game, but he's always there at the end. He's one of the key players. He's just there to keep the, the bench guys going, runs the bench, but, but he always finishes the game. And that's what Kwaka is for us. I mean, if there's like a, 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 an award for the perfect sub, I think it's him because he, he's probably one of the, the most key players for the Springboks because they know the impact that he was going to bring week in, week out. I mean, Opto Johnny had the, the stats of saying that he disrupted 42% or turnover 42% of the rucks he hit in the entire World Cup, which is crazy. The next best is Marcus Kramer, who I think had an incredible World Cup. Um, but he started most of the games. I, mean, I, think, I think Marcus Kramer pretty much played every minute of the world. He's played almost every game, but and started. Well, Kokosmith came off the bench and the impact he had in those 30 minutes he'd come on. He is one of the most influential players the Springboks have, one of the best players. Is is in that is putting himself in that world class bracket, if, but as a super, like as a super sub because that's what he offers. What he does is there's no other player that almost gives an impact. That there's no other bench player in the world that gives the impact that Quaker Smith does. Is is the ultimate cheat code because he can play six, seven, eight. So he, he plays in in different roles. But and, and and we said this going into the pod. Teams, you have to find a way to counter Quaker Smith. Your your number twenty, your reserve back rower has to outplay Quaker Smith if you want to if you want to beat the Springboks. And there was no back row that off the bench that did outplay him. And, and it also made a massive difference. I mean, he is, you, he, the, yes, you can plan for the year, but, and all that, but you, when you play the Springboks, that's another list of the world-class players that we have in Quaker Smith. The thing that everyone in the future, when you are listening to this, we must never, ever discount how incredibly good he is and don't ever not have him in your teams, like, you know, greatest teams of World Cups in decades, because... It's exactly that. He is outstanding at his job at being at being on the bench. And he the way that he changes how I wouldn't say he changes how he plays, what position he plays, but you're guaranteed, you're guaranteed that he's gonna come on and he's gonna cause cuck. Like that's what he does. He comes on, he disrupts the shit out of you. Half your team are tired because um, you know, because it's like 30 minutes to go. But it's he's so Oh, he's so good. Technically, he's so good. He's he's so strong. He does everything that he's supposed to be doing, and um, and he just like powers his way through. And uh, the turnovers, the just the chaos was outstanding. But the thing is, is he we've we've created a player now that is the best bench player in the world, and everyone's happy for him to bench. It's so it's weird. Like we have changed so much. Of rugby, the landscape of rugby has changed with our defence, with our bench, with our hybrid players, with our lack of hookers, with everything. Yeah, I think that we'll talk about that. I think later with the legacy, I think the Springboks leave. Just on the game, I th- let's turn our attentions to the to the defeated finalists, New Zealand. So, of course, we talked about some of the attacking stats. They of course, uh, they came very close to winning. I mean, there's a kick. If one of the two kicks that were missed went over, they would have had more points than the box, um, at least at that stage. And, I mean, especially after losing uh, Sam Kane um, in the first half, they really put a, the Springboks under a lot of pressure. Let's talk about at least, yeah, let's talk about just their performance and maybe some of the things that went wrong for New Zealand. Um, I think... Cooks mentioned the kick that um, Jordy Barrett should have, uh, the kick that Jordy Barrett had to um, in the last ten minutes that they should have gone to touch, which I think I agree with as well. 
Um, but Sean, do you think their approach was right in the rain? Um, I, I, I expected actually them to go for more of a kicking game um, in the first half, especially. Um, I think in the second half, they got it right. They started using those midfield bombs from Aaron Smith and they got the ball back most times or at least put the Springbok catcher under pressure to force a turnover. In the first half, they try to keep the ball to hand maybe too much. And that's, I think, where they allow the Springboks to gain momentum. We know the Springboks almost feed off making hits and more big hits and more big hits and forcing mistakes from that. And then they 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 turn that into points. And I mean, I'd love to, I haven't watched the game yet again, but I'm sure most of those 12 points that the Springboks scored were from pressure mistakes from the All Blacks holding onto the ball or trying to attack with the ball too much. So I don't know if they've had the right approach in the game, at least in the first half. Yeah. I, so the way you're going to beat the Springboks, especially in a final in the wet with a 7-1, is to the whole strength of the Springboks is their forward pack. And then they've got seven forwards on the bench. Perhaps the way I look at it is that the All Blacks were probably going to try and tire out the starting pack as soon as possible like hopefully they were going to come out a little bit um sort of kind of as flat as they did against England forcing the changes earlier and that perhaps prompted them to to go with that um that attack um and then hoping it would open up in 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 the in the back end of the game um but having said that the they were they had everything they 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 had all the opportunities you know they're going to score a try. Um, and I don't remember, I unfortunately haven't had a chance to watch the game back yet. I'm actually going to watch it back after this. But there was very little times during the game that I heard the commentary talk about the All Blacks being down to 14 men. They, they had 14 players and they performed like the way they did was incredible. The All Blacks were, were properly up with, you can argue that they got the tactics the wrong way around a little bit, but I look at it that they were trying to tire us out or try to force that first change as early as possible because then there's nothing new coming. You know what's happening, and then you can adjust it accordingly, and that's what, that's what they did. But they didn't factor running into us the way we were, and everything settled. You, you spoke about the defense and everything going full circle cooks, but... That was our foundation. We've been speaking about it for years and years and years. Our foundation is 100% our defense and, and, and our, our scrums and our lineouts. And our defense was what we fell, fell back on. And the other thing is the All Blacks believed in their process and then, and then the, 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 the nerves kicked in because they were very nerve. There, there were errors. To be fair, both sides made errors and we just came out on top. It was an incredible game and it was a brilliant performance. <clears throat> Excuse me. The, the scrumming, everything, it was a, a great display up front. I, I saw someone on Twitter say like there were so few um, scrum penalties and stuff because both sides were just basically going at it, just believing that they had the best scrum, not trying to try and use the dark arts in any way, shape or form. So yeah, it was, it was amazing. I feel for the All Blacks because... There's really nothing else they could have done. There are a couple of errors here and there, but uh, the same as against England and the same as against France is the things that went our way gave us points or stopped the opposition from getting points where the things that went didn't go in New Zealand's way cost them. Yeah, I think the big moments basically went to the Springboks. Um, 
Cooks, just on uh, maybe on the positive side, and let's start talking about maybe individual players that played well. Let's start with our losers. Um, Mark Talea, we talked about just how brilliant he was. Top foot defenders beaten with nine. I think there's an undercount here, and ultimate rugby should be probably closer to 90. Um, he just seemed to find a way to dance through everyone, as we talked about earlier. But yeah, I thought and the newly crowned World Player of the Year, Adi Sevilla, had a heroic, defi- um, heroic um, game from him. I think, you know, as, uh, you know, not maybe as good as Thierry Dussetois in 2011, but not too far off in terms of players that played for a losing team in the finals and playing that well. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I, I think the, the New Zealand scrum has to take a lot of credit for holding its own. I think they could have probably considered a penalty or two in the middle of the second half if there was a different referee. But yeah, nothing egregious. And they definitely stood tall. And in the last scrum, they put the Springboks under immense pressure. Wow. Um, the, the scrum that's, that, that finally won the game. But yeah, also Aaron Smith, I think, had a fantastic game. Uh, but yeah, any, anyone else you want to uh, call out there, Cooks? I thought, I mean, for me, it's a big shout-out for the All Blacks to Taro Romax and Ethan Ducrot. I think they've got, I think they've got a big future in those two. I thought Taro, I thought Ducrot was very good. These soft skills are something that very, very much, that very surprised me and caught the spring box out once or twice. I th- him and Lomax put an incredible shift in the scrum in the first half. And I think those two, I mean, you, you saw Ducrot like, absolutely broken. And he was the one of the players that absolutely did as much as he possibly could in the rugby field. And scrummed, ran, tackled himself into an absolute standstill. I thought he was fantastic. Lomas was fantastic. I do think the spring, the All Blacks have got a big going forward. I mean, to have those two going forward in the future is absolutely massive for them. Um, Ardy, I mean, Ardy's Ardy. Um, it's, it, he gets into... Ardy, I think the biggest difference with Ardy is the fact that Peter Stiftetroy was incredibly heroic. Otherwise, Ardy's performance we talked to a lot more, but, and I, that's how good he was. Um, but I, I, I do agree with you. I think Aaron Smith was good as well. Um, I, I was quite surprised when I saw him coming off of Finley Christie. So, like, I th- about 15 left, I thought maybe they'll push. I thought it was one of those games where Aaron Smith sort of, he's like, one of those games where like, these guys are coming off the field. Um, but um, I, I just think, yeah, I think those are the those are the standouts. I mean, shame. I think it was a tough day in the office for the likes of Will Jordan. I mean, <laughs> cheapest. So he, we shut him out in the game, and you could see the more we shut him out, the more frustrated he get, the more he kept trying to create something out of nothing. And the more he tried to create something, the more mistakes he made. So it just kept piling on for him. But I think with the All Blacks, I think as a whole, I, I thought their pack was I thought their pack was decent. And I thought the the way they put pressure on our lineouts, I thought Sam Whitelock as well came on was absolutely a, a, a beast at, at, at lineout time. And I thought they set piece was very very good, and, and they were able to present a pressure on our set piece. Something you know, Cody Taylor from time to time loves a, a skew throw or the sort of final. But I, thought, I mean, they had twenty lineouts on, on on the weekend. I think they only lost two or three. Which is incredible, and and you always thought the All Blacks you could target them in line out time, but I thought they put us under immense pressure in the line out, and also won a bulk of their ball, which is which was able to give them the perfect platform they had. So there wasn't many guys that had an off game, and um, I think that chances chances not taken is, is, is what hit them. But I think going forward for them, Lomax and Dakota is going to be absolutely massive. I mean, excuse the pun for Dakota, but it's going to be absolutely massive for them going forward to have two potentially breaking on the door, knocking on the door of all clause. I think they're, they're going to get only, they're only going to get better and better. Yeah, at least, yeah, at least we can console ourselves as a Springboks that they have this unknown super rugby coach coming in to coach them after this year. 
Um, Sean, let's go to the Springbok side. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of players that played well. We've talked about Peter Steff. We've talked about Guaja. Um, any other players you want to highlight? Oh, man. Everyone. That, <laughs> abso- absolutely every single person did one battles. So if, if we, in a World Cup final, if we lose that many lineouts, we generally don't win. So we've done something as a team that has, was outstanding. If in a World Cup final, we are 10, uh, misses as many tackles as he does, we lose the final. And the fact that both of those happened in the same game and we still went on and won, it was, it was massive. It was massive by every single player. Every single person made a positive contribution. Every single person made <clears throat> a, game, a, a game-changing play somewhere along the line. Even Vili, like every single person did something. I mean, Jasper Visser's carry off the scrum at the end, like that was just massive. Just everyone did something everywhere and it was next level. Like I was, I, I felt so bad for, for Ches and Colby of these yellow cards, just watching him sitting there freaking out and the cameras just kept showing him. And I'm like, can you stop this? It's like a flipping horror show. Um, I was just like, we can't lose because he's like, this guy's going to take it so badly. But Cooks went through the players and I agree totally, like the individual performances, but every single person did something that changed the way that that changed the game in our favor. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think the, especially obviously just defensively, the big efforts that most of the players put in, or at least, well, all of the players put in was massive. I, yeah, I think you, there's so many pivotal things that were done, I think, in, in this game that made the Springbok game plan work. Um, we know, obviously, Peter Steff's job is to obviously harass any key background player that he did. <laughs> but especially the key playmaker, and they obviously targeted on, on Jordi. Even Beth also got his own hit there on, on Richie Monga, at this, I think in the second minute of the game. That, that was absolutely massive. Uh, Kulisi's role with like chasing down kicks is, is, is big, like Andre Pollard. And I think he's the best at that kick, um, Pollard, that cross-field uh, up and under. Like, I don't know if anyone else can execute it like Pollard does. He really is just amazing in that kick. And obviously with the conditions that were like, that were there in, in Paris on Saturday, like that was a perfect kick to put the back three of the All Blacks under pressure. And there was probably two try scoring opportunities that came from those kicks that, you know, on another day, um, those should have been converted. I thought Damon Willemson was fantastic with um, just making sure that things were, were great at the back and clearing the ball. His kicking was like I think his kicking has grown quite a lot, like his tactical kicking. Like he doesn't kick like this for the Stormers. He <laughs> probably disallows him from kicking. But he really kicks well um, and, and can get clearances and knows when or how to kick and knows when to, to chance his arm and go for a run. Is good also at that sort of kick to himself as well. Like, yeah, he's just grown and grown and grown as a fullback in the last he's few weeks. Like, sorry to interrupt Jeez. you yeah go on he's been he's been cooking like so for me i 
there was a stage where we where he wasn't the first in as a 10 as a 12 or a 15 then there was a stage where he was potentially the starting 10 and then potentially the starting 15 12 was was always in in the mix as as a cover but for me one of the big things for him and it it's the case now and I don't think he won't be able to move to 10 or 12 in the future but knowing that he's going to be playing 15 because that was going to be his end. He wasn't going to start at 10. He wasn't going to start at 12 in this World Cup squad. It was going to be 15. When he took, when they gave him his chance, well, when he got his chance again, because him and Vili were trading and there was like, Vili was going well and then Damien was going well. And once they figured out how they were going to sort things out, he's just stepped up big time. Like to such an extent that I was thinking about it in the previous pods. I've been kind of thinking and saying, like, I really think Vili should be playing. He isn't playing that bad. I think he operates, uh, offers more with Manny and stuff like that. And I was wrong completely. Like, Willemse is 100% the best option, and Vili was taking the back seat, which is great because the both of them can can play. Vili is obviously good enough to be on, on the bench and come on whenever. So he's been really good. We, we are going to, I predict that, with this happening and moving forward, it looks to me that Willems is going to be our 15 and there's not going to be that discussion about 10 too much of it. Like he'll probably shift in there during games and stuff, but Willems, uh, his rugby is going to get better and better if he's, if he's staying at 15 for the Springboks. Um, like, you know what I mean? That, that consistency of staying in one space and not moving around too much. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm so excited for the performances, but like, yeah, like you said, Sean, just fantastic performances from, from the players. I think Colby also did really well in some parts of the game with just carrying up the, ball, in the world, like from kicks. Like he was able to just, yeah, like, you know, he has that, we know how good he is obviously in space and he did have that one um, run, but I think just his ability to just bravely carry the ball into bodies and the fact that he won't be like held up or turned over because it just takes so much effort for whoever's trying to tackle him to get him down <laughs> that it buys him it buys him and the team time to to get to him as well as, as an underrated uh, skill that he has yeah like just so many great performances and yeah i think it was a high quality final i mean obviously there's a lot of incidents and all that sort of stuff but yeah i think there's not there's a lot of players that i think had a had a, uh, had a really good game and had their moments in the game as well Cooks, yeah, how was the heart when Bogi Bonambi um, suffered his leg injury? I mean, first of all, I think, yeah, uh, I think the refs maybe could have given, I think Frizzell's a bit lucky to get only a yellow card for, for that neck roll. But yeah, that was pretty much the worst case scenario for the Springboks. Yeah, Flip, I think it was the, the scenario that, um, that we did fear. I think, I mean, Jacques even said so, like probably losing Bongi and Faf was the two big early losses that they probably wanted to avoid. But, and I think the heart did sink a bit. You're thinking, oh, geez, like 77 minutes without, without Bongi is going to be an absolute massive shift for, shift for Dion Fari. But that guy is like, he's, I know they call him Branas, but his nickname should be Balas because he's got a flipping, he is <laughs> absolutely incredible. I like, you look at it, like it's one of those guys, I think, which, which is something the Springbok coaches get right. I think, and Dion Fury is a big sum, a summation of that, is the character of Dion Fury in terms of, like, he's an absolute dog. He's a workhorse and he understands the moment. He, 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 like I said, I think after the semi-final game, he plays like someone, like, who knows that 
I never thought I'd be here. I never thought I'd ever get this opportunity. And he's taking it with both hands. Like he was throwing himself into rucks, throwing himself into people. And yes, his lineouts, yes, there's a few throws that went around, but the All Blacks put tremendous pressure on that lineout. And what I love the most is he kept bouncing back and he made two huge lineout throws in the second half where the All Blacks kept, I think they got two great kicks. There's one just in our 22 and you're thinking, oh, geez, now this is one, this is one he has to hit. One just outside, just, just, just by our 10 as well, two massive ones. And which is, shows the character of the guy where he doesn't just, just, he doesn't just like just give up easily. Yes, there's a lot going on. I mean, this is a guy who came back two years ago from 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 France, thinking he probably, he, he probably just retire. coming back to to retire in Cape Town. And then also the start of the URC guys were, were writing him off because. And then he, I remember he put together two man of the match performances back to back, and then he literally has not turned back since then. And he's such he's the perfect guy to play the role. And the coaches identify identify that in Dion, saying, "Listen, the the guy's character." Leader. I mean, he kept in the spring box at the end of the game. I mean, that just shows his, his leadership capabilities, and and he's the perfect experience. And like as much the bonging stuff scared me, but Dion came in and, and and took that opportunity with with both hands, and it just shows the the belief that the spring coaches have. And we'll we'll talk about this in the legacy, but it shows again every decision they've made has been has been has been has, has been validated because this is the guy they backed, and the worst question on every because in the day. The coach is probably like, this is you and one another hooker in. Now Dion's in. Now you're asking him to put a 77-minute shift. And for 77 minutes, is like he repaid the coach's faith in him, repaid his faith. Not only, obviously, I mean, he was in the mix to see, is he going to go to the World Cup? Is it between him and Marco von Staden? They, they repaid his faith in selecting him. And also, they doubled down the faith in him by not selecting by not, by not selecting a third hooker or, or like to be able to come back in. And he repaid, he repaid that in double. And yes, it was tough seeing the top dog go down. But you just can't think of a more perfect player to to step in the scenario than Dion Free. Yeah, I think Sean and I had this conversation before the pod. Like, I think there was risk, obviously, in what the Springboks did. Like, as you do, I'm, okay, I'm not a betting person, so if I get the metaphors wrong, please forgive me. But uh, I think Jared said in the preview, the Springboks bet on red um, in the casino and went all in on that with, you know, the 7-1 and not having a hooker and all that sort of stuff. And I mean, there was some risk. There was a few <laughs> dicey throws there, like literally and figuratively within the lineouts. And it was obviously an issue, but the performance of Pollard just about tipped the scales to obviously get the, the win in the end. You know, that's the thing. Like the Springboks uh, yeah, just at that cutting edge of obviously risk and reward. And obviously all the, 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 the calls went the right way for them. Um, by the from the coaching staff, uh, Sean. I was going to ask you now about. Oh, I see your hands up. But no, after go, you go, have, go. Yeah, make your point as just, well. But yeah, I was going to go on. Sorry, man. It was just about those those battles. The the jockey number often just talks about those battles. Like how many battles won, um, how many they get into, and how many they win, and like that's how it was. That's how it came out. Like what? How many? How much you can go in and win and. I was very outspoken about the fact that we didn't have a, a big hooker. I thought we really needed a scrummaging hooker. And um, yeah, you can't argue. Like we went on to win it. Like four scrum offs, you know, one out and out hooker. It was crazy. But I, I mentioned to you earlier, I all I want, like one day in my life, I want to sit down with Jacques Ninaba and I just want to say, can you just explain to me the thought process? Like what were the options and what was that swing vote? What is that swing vote? Like, 
when was that moment that they decided when something something was said about like pros and cons when was that moment they decided no it's okay Brunas can stay and he'll be our second choice hooker because there's no ways that they didn't think that there was a chance that he had to play 80 minutes that's that's the thing is they don't put him on the bench saying we hope that he only plays 20 it would be ideal if he only plays 20 and and Bongi goes the goes the whole way but you know that there's a chance that he's going to play 77 79 minutes and I want to know at what point did they decide it because man that's those are massive plums man massive I personally I think it's the New Zealand South Africa game in Ellis Park in 2022 where we didn't have a good game they I think that's the game that but if they we're honest basically decided like uh, you know, maybe we need to look at other options. But if we're honest, Dweber, the only failing bad part of that game that Dweber had was his line-out throwing. Our line-out throwing, throwing yeah. wasn't good. The World, our World Cup final, um, Brunner's line-out throwing wasn't good. The, mm. that, that's, that's the thing. The, the, where, like, that's those, those swing votes. Like, like, cool, we're going to miss a couple of line-outs. But it was, as Cooks, as you mentioned, it was his experience. It was his just everything else about him, um, his leadership, um, the fact that he's there and, 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 you know, he really feels like this is his last dance and, and all that. That probably was one of, the, one of the big factors. But maybe, yeah, because the, the truth is, is the only thing that Dweber did wrong in that game was his line-out throws. Everything else was fine. So it's kind of like both were exactly the same line-out-wise then where else does a swing vote? So our scrums were okay, yeah. not a weapon like we thought, but it was all that other, there's, there's other tackles, that stealing and all that sort of other stuff because we lose a carrier because he's not going to carry like Dweber carries. So yeah, that's why I want to have that conversation. So if any of the dirt trackers have been in for me, I'd like to have a sit down and it'll quite be in a bry <laughs> and just ask some questions. <laughs> Do you not know you have cooks on this podcast with you? I mean, Manz is the most connected person in South African rugby. Listen, if you didn't pick up the hint when I first said it, I had to kind of remind him now. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> no, I've got it. I'll see what my connections can do, Shoki. <laughs> just just a, a small little interview for the pod. Um, Sean, I wanted to ask you about the Sam Kane red card. What's your thoughts on it? Yeah, it's a red. Um... So I don't think it's a fact that the Sam Kane was red carded. I think the biggest conversation is around why Siokalisi wasn't red carded because, you know, everyone's like, oh, there's a red card. Yeah, the, the next one has to be a red card. Sam Kane's was a red card. I saw it and he's made his shoulders smashed Jesse Krill right in the face. I'm surprised we didn't lose Jesse Krill. Um, it's, it was just, yeah, he's looking to make a dominant tackle against an absolutely massive back. And um, he's got it wrong. I don't think you can argue that red card. I, to be fair, I don't think I've seen a lot of people try and argue that. And it's just the, the biggest issue that I saw on social was more around why wasn't Siokalisi um, <clears throat> red carded. And it's quite clear that he doesn't make direct contact with the head and it comes, makes contact with the ball or the shoulder. I can't remember. I think it was the shoulder first. So, yeah, to answer your question, that red card was a red card. It sucks that it happens in, in the final um, and to Sam Kane as well. But I think he answered it very well in the post-match interview. He just basically said it's something that I'm going to have to live with for the rest of my life knowing I got sent off in the final and it cost us the game. 
Sean, if I can sum up how the breakdown is going to start today, it's going to be about how red cards ruin games. It's going to be about how is there no way for a player to go down earlier for him to come back or make the game 15 versus 15. Because as we all know, red cards ruin games. I mean, we've, we, 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 we've been forced to hear this from the longest time. But us, I mean, I, I thought it was a stone cold red. And unfortunately, he said he got it wrong. The CO1, there's so many mitigating factors which the, with the refs, I thought the TMO and the refs, I thought Wayne Bond's explanation of his calls was so good. His communication was very, very good on Saturday and how he explained the decisions he made. And, and, um, and, I, and I thought, that, like you said, there's so many mitigating factors, which was a card as well. But, Sean, my issue is this. It's an issue we've spoken about for, since probably rugby started, about how New Zealand rugby and Super Rugby as a whole have gotten the tackle law so wrong for the last couple of years. And it came full circle and it hurt them at the worst possible time in a, in a Rugby World Cup final. And I, 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 I hear, I mean, the debate of, like, the 20-minute record rule, you can't, you can't have that there. I, I just said, like, it's, there's, there's no way that it's not a record. I, I, there's no, I couldn't, you couldn't see any other factors around it, how that could be a record. Shoulder to the head, full contact, no mitigation, no level change. It's... Unfortunately, like you said, I'm a massive Sam King. I got it wrong, but I do think for the number of years that the Super Rugby, especially the New Zealand team, have gotten the tackle law wrong, um, unfortunately, it came around in full circle and came back to bite them. Yeah, it's. I saw very interesting um, uh, the stats on the yellow and red cards for the tournament. And New Zealand were comfortably... Um, the worst when it came to, I think they were the only team that got two red cards, um, but I think they had more yellow cards than anyone. So, but as a combo, they had more of, um, they had more cards. So it is something that has to be looked into. Absolutely. I, I agree totally. There's, there's things that force change and this is one of them. Like, have they been taking a casual approach to um, foul play and head contact and stuff like that? We seem to think so. We've looked at things from, from many different angles, being in Super Rugby and in, and in the URC, um, and just obviously with the new laws. The fact that the new laws aren't being kind of managed, I, I personally feel the new laws, are, well, the laws aren't, the head contact laws aren't being managed well enough in New Zealand and Super Rugby and Australia. And it's going to take something like this to, to force it. And it's, the truth is, is it wasn't, like a continuous bad technique thing. Like Sam Can hasn't been putting in high tackles. It just he just got it wrong. But maybe there's been a casual approach to it that like they're like, oh well, we'll just get away. <clears throat> Excuse me, we'll just get away with it and, and finish it. But yeah, it's it hurts. And the thing is, is the All Blacks put in a performance as if they had 15 players on the field. That was that was the one thing. So it would you kind of think that that red card if. Sam Cann has stayed on the field there and they played with that same intensity that they would have uh, they would have won it. But things have to change. And it's not just because it's a World Cup final, it's because the reality of of brain injury. No, hundred percent sure. And I think obviously it might be a big wake up call for New Zealand rugby and the way they manage it going forward. But sure, Kim, I wanted to ask, I mean, talking about decisions made, what did you make of Wayne Barnes' performance? I think obviously the Kiwis aren't too thrilled with with Wayne Barnes, but I thought personally I thought it was good. I mean, there's a few areas here and there, but I mean, if you break down the game, there's there's areas everywhere. But I, I didn't. I, I thought he had. I thought he had a good game. 
I just I just loved his communication throughout the game and the way he the way he controlled the game and also the way it, which each call that he made the the way the, the way it was explained I loved it one I think the best moment for me was when you all like scored in the corner and Smith's try and he, and he sat down and he's like listen Audi I, I see all your point yes there was a knock on here but the, the tackle in the air it's still going to be your ball but you can't score a try if there's an if there's a knock on there's still an infringement here and the way he explained those calls and the way he explained his communication, I thought, was absolutely so good. And there were times when he did, when he did get a few things wrong. And for both sides as well. I thought the RD one, obviously, is the big one. And the Spurs got the penalty. But I thought that CS deal, which popped out in the I thought I thought Sierra, I thought Sierra does a clean steal. But again, Wayne Barnes communicates, oh, didn't see the replay here. Didn't see the, which is all you want in a referee. Yeah? But I thought, I thought Wayne Barnes did a good game. What did you think? He was excellent. So I was chatting to a couple of my mates, one mate who's, not really massive into rugby and <clears throat> I was trying to explain to him the laws and how they're applied differently with different referees, specifically with Ben O'Keefe, how he's going to let the breakdown be a contest for longer. <clears throat> and I explained that Barnes is going to be different. Like he's technically is going to be excellent. And I thought everything, I really didn't have a problem with the way he officiated. I especially like that he, went to Artie and said, I made a mistake. We, we're missing that in rugby. And the problem is, is the refs don't doing it because they're constantly being abused and constantly in the shit, basically. He was outstanding. He, and you're right, communication, everything was fine. No one was in any doubt of anything. The one thing that is so good about him is how calm he remains in almost all situations. Very good, but... That, that line-out, um, that try when he went in with that knock-on, he was the one that looked not focused on the knock-on, looked elsewhere, just double-check everything, like cast his eye to see what had happened. And, I mean, I didn't even pick it up until he mentioned it because I was focusing on the knock-on, <laughs> like following the ball. So it's really good. He was, he was outstanding. I'm so glad he got a World Cup final. Um, you know, it's his first one. So, and I, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's his last test match. As well, that he'll be officiating. Yeah, and I think Sean, you spot on. I mean, he's had an incredible career, most capped referee, and um, and I thought, yeah, the, the Rugby World Cup final against Springboks was All Black was a fitting way for him to for him to end his career. And I, I, thought, I just I just loved his calmness, even with the whole Colby situation with the card. Just I love. I, I was obviously well, I was at a fan box. Obviously, people were like going off and like, no, you can't check that. How can it be a penalty try from there? I'm like, guys, let him check, which is all you can do. Cover all your bases. Check. Be calm in the situation. I thought also, I loved how he handled the scrums as well in terms of the, his time management. He was so good at time off. Like, I don't want us to lose time because of scrumming or, rest, or resetting. And especially at the end there, like how, how calm was to make sure we're going to get a, con, a, a, a fair contest and we're not also going to waste two minutes or three, two, minute, three, two to three minutes hanging around, trying to get up, forcing guys to... Lazily get back into the scrum. He was very good. Even stop games when backs were down. Guys, stop. This is a World Cup final. We, I want to create the big, the best spectacle for the game. The things were down with, uh, the time when Kobe was down, and I think I think certain times you can play for outside back is down. But he's like, guys, I'm trying to create a spectacle. I thought he managed that so well, and I thought he had a very good game. Yeah, and uh, hats off to Fafte Clark for not feeding that uh, first scrum. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say because I shat myself because they got us on the hit there and they were driving us. If Fuff, Fuff sure. said that, we would have lost today. 
Sure. But even that second scrum, it was tight. I think, I mean, one of the Sheesh. most underrated players of the day is Jasper Visa picking that ball up when he did because we were going backwards. And I'm like, oh, I'm waiting for the arm to come out. I'm waiting for the arm to come out. I'm waiting for the arm to come out. I was, eh? Because and I was like, oh, geez. Like, it's one of those ones that just get the ball out, get the ball out, get the ball out. And I thought Jasper did so well. And to pick it up against against the head on the wrong side, hold up at four, four, hold four five defenders. All he had to do was hold on. Because, I mean, I mean, we were about probably one or two, like a second away from, and rightfully, I mean, we were getting absolutely dominated in the last scrum from giving away a penalty there. So, which is... I thought it was very, very good referee and Jasper was one of the underrated players of the World Cup. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this because I did say it out loud, but I was watching with my daughter and at that, that scrum, I just looked at her and I said, we have dominated scrums. It's been our, basically our bread and butter. I said, it would be ridiculously ironic if we got penalized at a scrum and the All Blacks kicked <laughs> over to win the World Cup. I was just sitting there going, oh, man, that would be just sickening. I was like thinking, because yeah. I saw McKenzie obviously just come on. I was like, yes, imagine being Dave McKenzie. <laughs> You've been on the field for three <laughs> minutes. Like, hey, by the way, when it's the World Cup, while you had it. <laughs> Look, shout out to Nepalau Lala. I guess the call to go for him instead of Fletcher Newell. Like, you can see the value in those last few scrums. Like, there's a few scrums. South Africa's trying to get a penalty from New Zealand. New Zealand said, nope, we are not going back. And New Zealand obviously put a big shove in in the last scrum. Um, to Mighty Williams, he's, I think, 22 or something crazy like that. And obviously, he's massive. Like him and Newell, Lomax and DeGroote, geez, that's a good prop rotation for the next few years. Um, yeah, I think just to echo what you guys said about Wayne Barnes, I think he really managed the game well. Um, yeah, I. Uh, I'm also yeah, a bit relieved that it was it didn't fall in they didn't fall into the trap of the Colisi card of trying to equal equal the game up. I mean go sort of record for record. The only thing to at least from my side to mention is I, I just wish there was more consistency throughout the World Cup with head hits because it just felt a bit lottery-ish with the bunker that some hits on the head were mitigated for like very small reasoning. There wasn't really much mitigation to offer here for Kane, but yeah, I think it almost felt like there was some sort of director from world rugby to try and limit the cards. And I think that's obviously that's unnecessary. And yeah, obviously it's ironic for on the New Zealand side because they've been trying to, um, them in Australia have been trying to sort of do the vibes and let the game run and all that sort of stuff. And for them to be thwarted by a, Head high con by head eye contact is, is a bit ironic as well, judging from the last four years. Like, I think they've almost tried to do everything that they can in super rugby to either overlook head high contact and you know, to, to not give it maybe the disciplinary, like, or the sanction that it deserves sometimes, the 20 minute red cards, all that sort of stuff. Like, the big difference between the Colisi and the Kane hits was the positioning of the legs and the hips. Colisi was crouched down for his and somewhat unlucky. Kane was also unlucky, but he was pretty much upright. And I think that's a big difference in those two uh, collisions. You know what freaked me out? I was so happy with the way the bunker was being managed or how the bunker managed things leading into the World Cup. Everything was beautiful. Like the only confusion was the confusion with the fans. Everything, the way that the decisions were made and everything pre-World Cup was perfect. I thought like what is it in like five, six, seven games that I watched that there wasn't an error anywhere. I thought it was perfect. I was 
oh, man, I was pumped for the World Cup. And then the week before the World Cup, well, sorry, the game before the World Cup or the first couple of games in the World Cup, then it started going all tits up. And I was like, wow, what's going on here? Like they did so well to like enhance their reputation after everyone was skeptical. And then it just went weird, man. Yeah, I, we need to fix, or we need to, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's another conversation another day. But anyway, guys, let's start talking about, I think, the consequences and the legacy and everything. I mean, yeah, the Springboks are going to have their trophy tour during the course of the week. And yeah, there'll be a lot of celebrations. Cooks, I don't know if there's anything you, <laughs> are you going to be part of the celebration somewhat? Are you going to also get yourself a ticket on the bus or anything that Super Sports doing that you're going to be involved in? Yeah, we do. I mean, um, we'll be involved. I think they've got a, few visits this week and um i think i should be at the airport tomorrow when they land i'm still waiting for that to be confirmed so i'll still, I'll still be doing some work but i mean it's, it's nice work when the box go back to back so it's 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 extra it's 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 extra uh vital the jerry so um yeah definitely keen to be involved in celebrations and it's going to be oh man it's, it's going to be epic i think i don't think the box i think they're going to be in for a good shock when they come back to South Africa, about how much the support has been. Guys, it's been absolutely wild the last seven weeks, especially the last three weeks. And just the videos coming out. I mean, guys were scrambling buckies on the weekend. I saw this group of guys <laughs> was forming scrums. There was the streets. I saw a, a, a video of a car going down one of the streets. There's a TV on it with Jacques Nina, but talking after the game. It was just <laughs> this absolute chaos. I think the Springboks, I know 2019 was absolutely amazing. But I think the celebrations now is going to blow it out the water. But and CS did it so well because now it was 2019 was hopeful. We didn't, didn't we didn't, probably wouldn't expect to win, but now there was a certain level of expectation and to, to have delivered from that. And it's, that's going to be amazing. Yeah, I think 2023 might just go a little bit bigger and better. I mean, Sean, yeah, it's obviously it's quite clear with all the video and the reaction how much it means. I think <laughs> the anecdote to tell like other people from around the world is that. Well, number one, Nike ran out of Springbok jerseys before the first game. So that was obviously I haven't seen a one for sale. Goal from them. I yeah, they, they literally ran sale. out. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if Nike knew that South Africa likes rugby when they sponsored the box or they undersupplied or what the situation was. But yeah, they literally ran out of shirts. So now shirts are being sold by other retailers um yeah and like they gave, it, they like gave an intern his first step up and gave him a, a this small springbok rugby category that nike have never <laughs> done in their life and he almost yeah you know, yeah man i think they missed a zero there they said like ten thousand yeah. instead of like a hundred thousand or something like that yeah and four, four years ago i was in long streets climbed up a tree waiting for the bus to come past <laughs> And I shouted at Sia Khaleesi. I shouted loud, eh? I, I didn't care. I shouted loud. <laughs> and he looked at me. I just, he saw me. And I've got photos. And uh, Herschel Yanchi was also sitting there. And he had a look on his face like, who's this to us <laughs> up in a tree? <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm going back this year, man. I'm going to find that tree. I'm going to climb the same one again. I don't care. <laughs> I think you'll have to fight some people to get to that tree. But I mean, just an anecdote for people like outside of South Africa just to... <laughs> sort of explain how big this World Cup win was, is um, one of our retailers, Pick and Pay, um, they sold some Springbok memorabilia as well, like T-shirts and supporter shirts as well. And they also ran out. And But they had a deal that if you came with a green shirt, they would print, you know, the Springbok, like, uh, logos and all that sort of stuff on it. And so people came in with, like, 
like apparently there's like ladies that came with like um, kids green shirts. They made it like into tank tops and then they'd get like a Springbok logo on it as well. And Pick and Pay had to like stop the service that they're doing like early in the day, like I think in the midday on Saturday because there's so much demand and there, wow. there were lines upon lines upon lines of people waiting for, for these green shirts to be printed. So if anyone was making green shirts basically in the last few weeks, they are very rich right now and they are sitting in a private island probably at the moment. So yeah, <laughs> I think it shows just how crazy this country goes when the, this team wins. Sean, yeah, I think sort of getting onto, you know, like the, what Rassi and Nino, well, at least Nino, at least leaves behind. Rassi's still going to be around for a bit as well. I mean, two Rugby World Cups and the British Irish Lions series. And I think the biggest compliment I can throw, I can give to them is I kind of feel like that's almost a little bit short <laughs> in what they could have achieved as well. Like, obviously that's, <laughs> no one, no one would be unhappy with that haul, but like, that's just been how good and how much they've improved the Springboks that, you know, you, you kind of feel like, oh, I mean, it, it doesn't say the whole story about how much at times this team can dominate uh, like world rugby and just play so well at such a high level that, you know, there's, other things that they could have added to that. But it's it's not bad <laughs> getting those two trophies at the very least. No, it's... We spoke before the World Cup and we we're talking about the win percentage because every international coach is really measured on win percentages. Um, and we said even if he goes on to uh, go on, Springbok go on to win it, that his win percentage will not be that great. But what we didn't factor into it was actually going on and living through these five weeks and winning it the way we did. That's what we didn't factor in, like that wow factor. And again, like in 15, 20 years times, people are, very few people are going to remember this feeling that we're feeling right now. And uh, they will look at the percentage and they'll look at a Lions trophy and they'll look at um, a World Cup trophy. I don't think we won a rugby championship during that time. So mm-hmm. yeah, that, you do, you, you, if you're going to be harsh about it, like we did expect a little bit, a little bit more. But what Ninaba, I've always trusted the decision to bring him in, regardless of his head coaching um, uh, or lack of head coaching appointments. I've trusted that process. Like um, maybe I was like bought, way, bought in way too much and it was a bit of blind faith. But I always believe that this whole process will create some succession planning in Springbok rugby that we haven't seen ever in, in our lives. In, in Springbok history, we've never seen succession planning and we've got it now. And it looks like it's going to continue a little bit. But the one thing that I picked up from these massive interviews and presses that, that the Springbok coaches and players are doing is how, who Jacques Ninabe is as a human being. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's... The way he speaks about players and the way like the and how everyone is speaking, but what we have here, we will be lucky to see again. Jacques Ninaba spoke about his journey. I didn't know about him being with most of these players when they were 17. I knew he was with a lot of them um, during would have would have been coming to contact with them, but I didn't realize how much time he spent with them, coaching them and involved with them in the past. He's what he's brought and given this team is massive. And a lot of people will only talk about Rassi Erasmus and a lot of people will only 
talk about what Rusty did and it's the same old thing that it's Rusty and no one else. It doesn't matter. And Rusty inserts himself in places to take the heat off everyone else. He's always done it. He's always been there. He will do whatever he does, whatever he, what he can. And in 2019, he would have done it. We, and during the Lions series, he would have done it. And he did it just to take the heat off everyone else. Like, look at me. And Eddie Jones does it. It's just Eddie Jones flopped. If, if Russie's flopped, it would have been a different story. But Jacques Ninaba is excellent. And he's, yeah, we're going to struggle to get this mix of just everything. The balance of what we've got in this team um, from a coaching perspective and from a playing perspective will be very, very, very hard to replicate. Cooks, what is um, Rassi or and or Ninaba's goat um, uh, goat argument? Oh, it's massive. I mean, listen, it's they've put themselves up there with the top. I mean, like it's I said I said it in a tweet earlier that the, the Springbok side, for example, has put them. The only comparison for them now is the Spring the All Blacks who went back to back, and that's the sort of that's the conversations and that's the, that's the room they've put themselves in. I think if you look at Rassi and Jacques, I think it's because you, they obviously I mean they Rassi was head coach in pre twenty nineteen and Shark now. So obviously if you if you're gonna put them in the conversation of coach goat coaches, you've got to put them up with the likes of Steve Hansen and and coaches like that uh, who've also won World Cups. But I think they, they they definitely put themselves in high up the the goat debate and and, and 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 rightfully so because every because my thing is when you look at them is also innovation. I mean, and gambles. I mean, the gambles have taken six two seven mm-hmm. one seven one in a final is ridiculous. And they've they made big calls and in the way we've played and and the way they've the, the players have picked and that they've revolutionized the game and and they've changed things. I mean, the, the way we defend, the way we like the way the way we the way selection is done. I mean, picking guys like Quaker. I think you look at the the mantle, the, the 2015 All Blacks left about having a great bench, how they used to blow teams off the last 20 minutes because of their bench and things like that, where we've sort of taken that and sort of find a different way to increase how to use your bench and finding guys who are actually, the balance of guys who are actually better off the bench than actually starters, and the likes of Ox and Che, who's, and the finding a balance of Ox, Trevor, and um, and Bongi off the bench to come on as a three and were incredible. You have like the likes of Arches Neman, who's completely different from any of the locks to the starting locks, but he comes off the bench because that's the role he plays. And Quaker Smith, and so they definitely up in the in the, in the debate because because of, of the way they've innovated the game and world rugby. The rest of the world may not like it, but they have, and they found ways to win and found ways to 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 compete and to and to come back in 2018 when our rugby was an absolute mess, and to leave now in 2023, five six years later, five six years later, with two World Cups. An alliance tour. That is an incredible, incredible achievement. And I say that it can only be matched by the 2015 All Blacks. I know Tier 2 was on his rants again today, today talking about like, you know, but like the style of play, the the style of play, and and they won't dominate for like in between World Cups. I said, that's fine, but you can only compare this squad and the the coaching staff with the 2015, 2011, 2015 All Blacks because the only ones going back to back. And they can bring up the argument we were actually better in between World Cups. That's the only team you can sort of put that mix. Don't, don't tell me about the 96 All Blacks. Yes, don't like, then win 99 Wallabies. Won the World Cup, lost in the final. Also, I mean, England won the World Cup, 03, lost in the final. You can't, you can't, you got to compare apples and apples here. And that's, and that's where they've put themselves in. And it's, it's an interesting debate to have now. I mean, I still, I still have the All Blacks 2015 first 
and it's purely based on what they've done in between World Cups compared to what we've done. Yes, we won a Lions Trophy, but losing three games in between World Cups is ridiculous. So I definitely think that they they are deep in the in the in the goat debate, and they left a, a massive, massive, a massive legacy in, in how rugby will play and also how squads will be picked going forward. There's no doubt about it that we are in a conversation. We've got a group of individuals that have two World Cup. It wasn't just a case of uh, Rassi Rasmus as the one coach and then Jacques Ninova as another coach. We've got players that have gone back to back. We're totally, we're totally in that conversation. I was, I was absolutely like shocked this weekend, um, yesterday, on one of the groups, one of the guys like, so where does Sia Khaleesi rate as a Springbok captain? I'm like, is this a joke question? He's like, well, you know, um, it, Francois Pino. You have to did, think about um, Kone Krecher, though, um, Shawnee. No, you have to yeah. Think about Kone yeah, he only played when he, after he started bleeding at Kone. I'll never forget that. Hey? <laughs> Once he starts bleeding, you know, there was shit coming. But like the conversation was like Francois Pino did so much in 95. I'm like, dude, have you like been living under a rock? Like, look at what Sierkulisi's done. Forget about what who Sierkulisi is as a person and what he's done outside of rugby. Just purely on what he's done in rugby makes him the best Springbok captain we've ever had. It's just that simple. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's crazy. Like everyone's having these conversations. Like I'll be very honest with you. I don't give a shit what you think about the way we play rugby. And I like to believe I feel the same about another team if they went back to back. Like if we don't like their rugby, then tough, tacky, bro. Like so what? Like you want to play rugby? Your rugby doesn't win the games. And we playing to win. And on top of that, We've evolved our game since 2018 and 2019 and 2021 for Lions. So we've evolved our games and the way we play. We've created the best squad ever. One of the reasons why we don't have so many players in, in, the, in the team of, of, of the year is because we can play so many different players in so many different positions, horses for courses. Like, everyone can go jump. If you don't agree, then tough shit. Excuse me. Go Excuse jump. me. I apologize. Might have got a bit carried away there. <laughs> Cooks, who are the players that you think have like whose I guess legacies to use a bit of a US sports debatism? But like who's who, which players do you think their reputations have gone all the way up after the sport cup? I'm all in for the hyperbole tell. I'm all in for the big takes. <laughs> um <laughs> Whose legacy? You, Who has? Who's taking Jordan's place now, Cooks? <laughs> <laughs> I think you look at someone like Peter Steff, for example. You could have cemented himself as um, the Springboks' um, best ever blind side flank. We've had, I mean, I mean, no shade to John Smith, but I mean, Peter Steff is, I mean, world player 2019, and then you go put that epic performance in the final. Players like that, I mean, even Isabeth is basically writing his, is creating his past. Which, to possibly being the best Springbok ever, which is absolutely immense because he's, he's in the bracket now of the Victor Mayfields, Brian O'Banners, and guys like that, guys who are absolutely incredible. And he's probably one world, world player of the year away from probably almost cementing that, but it's but he's in that he's he is in that debate. And I think you look at the likes of Damien Delindy, do you throw them in the debate of who's the best 12 or Timmy and Jean de Villiers? That's what opens up. I think Andre Pollard puts himself arguably as the greatest ever 10. So it's definitely guys like that now where we, we like, it's one of those ones where you have two World Cups now and the conversations become very, very different. And there's guys here putting up legacies where it's like, man, this, these dogs have delivered for this age, this, you know, eight year period. And you're looking 
wow, this like someone like Malcolm Marks as well. I know he missed out on the back of the World Cup was injury, but now he's now he, now you sit there and like, okay, who's the best of a hooker? Is it Smitty? Is it Bismarck? Is it Malcolm? And I think Malcolm's probably a combination of those two. And Kitsy as well is in the mix. He's chasing beast of of being the best lucid we've produced. There's Franz Mahelber as well, who arguably is the best target we've had. And that's what and winning does that. It does increase your legacy. It's great to sit back when you retire. I mean, us as fans, we love these these barbershop talk bar debates and and when you win two World Cups, it puts you in a different bracket and in and as someone like Itzabeth, for example, I think he elevates himself. He's in the greatest lock ever conversation now. He's definitely up there. You got to put him up there. I mean, like, he's stacks up. I mean, like he's he's talking to the likes of John Neal, who's also got two World Cups. Sam Whitehall's got two World Cups. Um, um, so it's like this Martin Johnson, obviously the guys like that. That's the levels that he's taking himself to by winning a second World Cup and being nominated for Player of the Year again, and which is which is great. But and and I said it, it makes it, these conversations even trickier now because. There's a lot of guys now with two, and when you have a, you know, you have a conversation, you're like, well, he doesn't have two World Cups. It's it's so the, what the box have done is, is is find the greatest buffer ever when you're arguing someone. You're like, oh, I think he's the best. You're like, yeah, but like he's only won one World Cup, but like, yeah, he's got two. So <laughs> try try to come up with a better argument than that. So that's that's what they have, and I think it's it's so great to think to sit here and to think we we have players now in the argument of greatest ever players in their position ever. We in arguments of we 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 in conversations arguably we in the top two conversation of the greatest teams ever. And I think that's 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 a massive last important legacy of Shark and Rossi. I'm so glad you opened that door of the midfield. But when you look at like players and, and stuff, so Damien Delendi, he is he has the most um tests with um Lucanya Am as a center pairing and they've won a World Cup. And he has the most tests with Jesse Creel is a center pair and they've won a World Cup. So there, uh, he's in, I don't know if, if these numbers are exactly he's common, right. He, he's the common denominator. That's all you need. If you, if you Damien, you can take over the world. Matt, yes. So they, he's in the top, top three with those two. So he's the 12 in, 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 two, in two of the top three of our most ever um, like capped center pairings. There's that. The other thing is I'm, there's one person, like a lot of people have really like, you say Peter Seftatoy is going to have an incredible performance. You'll be like, listen, we expect that. Um, and like, he's that good. You know, we'll play the year 2019 all that stuff. But I'll, I'll say something. Jesse Creel, who's been sitting and waiting in the wings and has been supporting the Springboks and been playing wing and everything, has absolutely cooked at 13. We don't get this far with another midfielder if Lukanya Um's injured. So... There, he's probably one of the biggest, like his stocks have just absolutely shot through the roof in 2023. Um, but yeah, Franz Malherber and Steven Kitsov need, they, they need more love. Uh, it's it's the, the two props and it's the two midfielders and, uh, and those two for me, those four for me, those two groups for me are, are, the, are the, the, the players that probably need the mo- more love and have been absolutely ridiculous for us. Yeah, just to round it off, I think the players that are in terms at least of a global context that are now either in sort of these conversations or maybe at the top of them is I think France Malaba doesn't have too many rivals for best tight head ever, or at least best tight head in the professional era. Let me show some respect to the oldies. But yeah, at least in the last 25 odd years I've been watching rugby, I, I can't see someone that's been a better tight head. 
it's a bit as quick said as in that conversation for best lock. I think it's him and Retallick. You, you can argue for best tight head lock. Um, you can throw Peter Steff to Toy now. I think he has at least a little bit of an argument against Jerome Kano for best blindside. Um, I'm sure Ooh. there's other players you can mention there, but he's at least he's in the conversation. He's into the conversation now, and, and he's taking a, a seat, having a drink. Dwayne also is in that conversation. He's into the chat room for best eight with the likes of Zinni Brook and Kieran Reed, and maybe Sergio Parise has a you know he brings a few butters to that conversation too. <laughs> um, Andre Pollard, I think, yeah, he's in that conversation for best kickers, at least in the World Cup, because he just seems to not miss. I mean, you know, he and does spring, have a season or two. Ever? I think easily, pretty easily now. I think like, comfortably. I think it was, I think maybe a debate after 2019. You could maybe have said someone like Mornay Stain. Yeah, Mornay was fighting you, him for it. Yeah, but now I think it's quite clear. I mean, he's obviously just put himself up there. But yeah, I think in terms of goal kicking, he's he's in that sort of like Wilco, Jenkins, Carter, like level of, you know, if you need to win a game, he's the person to call for that. So yeah, he's 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 Sorry. up there. Tala, I, I'm just going to jump in. I, Go on. We all knew that Andre Pollard can kick well. And I know that I was saying like, it depends which Pollard you get because sometimes he's a little bit, Sometimes he wobbles, but when this earlier this year when I saw him play, he was playing. He was playing well, but I not missing one kick in the World Cup is a massive statement. It's he's not ever been a hundred percent kicker anywhere. He's been like a high eighty somewhere around there, but to kick a hundred percent in a World Cup under the pressure we were under, man, that oak needs a bell. Deserves a bell. Just send him the whole truck. And six of those kicks at least were like kicks that were needed to be made to win the World Cup. Like he the was kick cutting in fine on France. Saturday. They were like that kick almost, the oh my goodness. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, I was I had flashbacks to the twenty nineteen final because I think he missed the first kick, right? And I was just like, This did, man, yeah. this man really likes to play with our emotions. But yeah, Pollard, I think, is in that conversation. But yeah, I it's gonna be yeah, I think those players have definitely lifted their legacy. Um, I'd love to lead this conversation about things we got wrong, or at least I got wrong about Rassi and Nina. And I am very happy to admit I was probably the hardest like, on them over the last few years because I think, and I guess the realization I've come to is this team as a team that you want to win a one-off game, is <laughs> there's not too many teams that are better than that. And definitely, I think out of the teams in the World Cup, they were the best. Like, you need to win a match to save your life. You call the Springboks for that. And I guess my thing was like, okay, why can't we do close to that for <laughs> the majority of the test matches that we play? And I guess the answer is it's just way too difficult for any team, never mind the Springboks, to go sort of like life on the line <laughs> levels of effort in game after game. And I mean, the motivation they obviously play for to, you know, obviously the, the, the higher purpose that they play for, for for the country as well. I guess it's just really hard to do that in a match against Wales in July or in a tour match against Italy in November or in games in Australia where they just refuse to play well. Like, it's just so much more difficult to do that, like on a week-to-week basis, which I guess is the only, like quick say, the only thing that separates the box to the All Blacks in the, in the 2010s. and 
the the thing that makes the Springboks special in those do or die games is the ability for them to really give that extra like tackle to pick themselves up to make that extra effort and whatever one percent play in order to win the, the the close situations. And yeah, I was super shocked almost that the Springboks were also just so clinical with their chances in the 22 and like taking points or scoring tries when they needed to and also stopping other teams from getting points in the 22 because it just seemed like that was a constant problem um, throughout the World Cup cycle that they just were a bit sloppy with, you know, taking their own chances. I'm sure we've had hours of podcast content on we need the Spurs to be more clinical and hours on pop pod content of letting the opposition score important tries and, and those frustrating losses. And of course, the selections were just absolutely batshit crazy. And I still don't have <laughs> much of an understanding of them yet. But I mean, they've really bet on black. And they've, I mean, if you want to call the All Blacks of the 2010s, the Floyd Mayweather, in terms of them just dodging punches and almost getting through games and matches without getting a hit on them somewhat, the, the Springboks in the last few years have been like Rocky Balboa, like, they are taking punches to the head. They're taking punches everywhere. They are taking everything, your best shots from like an, your even dragos, and they still come through. And I mean, the Springboks, especially with um, the France and the England games, and even with the New Zealand game, they took every team's best shot and they still won. And that's why I think even the harshest people, even myself and the harshest critics, can't have much to say about that because they really stood up to whatever the, 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 the teams threw at them. Like, France had a fantastic attacking game, and they still stood up to that, and they got more, point, more points than them. England had a perfect game to nullify the box strengths, and they still stood up to that. New Zealand went to another world when they, got, they had 14 men, and they stood up to that as well. And look, I think the big things that the Springboks, like, overturned um, in their march to this World Cup that they didn't really maybe fix in the last few years was just their ability to close out close games they and their ability to be to 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 be efficient and to execute well to be ruthless in both 22s and that i think was the difference between um them winning and losing these these games and yeah congratulations to them obviously then and i <laughs> very happy to say they know a lot more about rugby than i do i'm bummed though that we're gonna have to hear four more years of conversations about no, this is the plan and we've lost this game intentionally and we only think about four years to go. Like that's not gonna that's gonna be annoying. <laughs> but I think it I think obviously what like Sean said, whatever they did was justified obviously in the final result. And they really be it motivation, be it game plan, be it just putting their bodies on the line. Like whatever they need to do in order to win you a game, they can do that to win you you know, one game to save your life. They, Springboks are now the team that you call on if you are in a hostage situation and you need a team that to win your game, save your life. Let's not forget, when they announced the Springbok squad, they announced four scrum offs and one fluff. Please, we must not forget that. That was batshit crazy to another level. And one scrum off that played in the final. <laughs> and yes, and then we go and play one nine. It was, and then our one scrum off played mostly on the wing. Absolute ridiculous. <laughs> but I must say, though, with yeah. all the, 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 the crazy stuff and the, it, it, like putting the eggs in, in one basket in the Rugby World Cup, it all paid off. Um, it's, I, I think 
the style of Jacques and Rassi, it's, they know it's going it's, it's to, it's, it's always going to be questionable. It's always going to be people that will have opinions on it. And because it, it is, some of it is like, it's batshit crazy. And that, that, <laughs> and that does come with, and that does come with um, people asking, well, like, what's going on? What's happening? And for them, their ability to see through all that mist and know this is the plan. This is what we want. We're gonna fl- we're gonna break a whole bunch of shells to make this omelet. <laughs> it's, it's it's not gonna be pretty. <laughs> there's, there's gonna be times when it looks like it's dire straits. There's gonna be times when we lose three out of four tests to the Wallabies. There's gonna be times when you know, like we're losing, like we, we we go on tour, we're losing certain games. There's gonna be times when players are fit and and uh, it's 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 gonna be crazy. But I will say, like to wrap up the the legacy chat, is. Jacques Niederbein and Rassi Erasmus have probably coached and put together a Springbok side that is the most relatable Springbok side this country's ever seen, the most loved Springbok side that this country's seen, a squad that is so together, has brought a country together, and everyone plays a certain role. Everyone can see it themselves. You, you look at how people love Fife, for example. Fife is so beloved. How Sia is treated, my cousin, my pimpy. They've all been allowed in that camp to sort of be themselves be the best version of themselves. And the countries attach themselves to that. They've tackled transformation head on. They've, they, they, they've done all the things that weren't pretty about supporting the Springboks, the things that made people look in and wonder what is going on. Like transformation is a massive win. It's a massive one. And you look at our coaching staff, our assistants are two coaches of color. We could, we, we could be in a position where we could have one of them coaching the Springboks next year and stick with Dion Davids, which shows more continuation. You look at the Springboks and number of players of color they are there and and there's no conversation about them are they quotas or it's they've they've tackled that head on they've found themselves to they found themselves loved by this country and i'll always remember rassi's quote about you've got a you've got to win before you gave hope and and they won and they gave hope and um i think that's going to be a, a legacy it's bigger than actually the world cups is how this team becomes so relatable and the country can relate to them that for me is probably the biggest achievement. Yeah, I think that's that goes without saying. I think that's perfect, Cooks. I think that really does put a nice bow on that conversation. So, James, very quickly, just to wrap up um, on a brilliant Rugby World Cup. Um, the let's start quickly with the World Rugby Awards. So, Audi Sevier's won World Rugby Player of the Year. Maybe <laughs> um, a back pay for when he should have won it a few years ago, but he is the World Rugby Player of the Year. Um, Andy Farrell winning um, Coach of the Year, Mark Talea winning Breakthrough Player of the Year, the Team of the Year's in with Eben Etzebeth being the only Springbok that's in there. And Sean, I'm sure, because I was on social media last night, I'm sure every South African fan reacted very well to all of this news. Yeah, we were a dream. Um, <clears throat> yeah, like, the truth is, is I... So... Just correct me if I'm wrong, but these awards are from July 2022 until now, right? It's not I think just 2022. October or November 2022 until November. Now. Okay. So, I believe so. Yeah. So the thing is, is coach of the year, I don't think people can argue that. The, the only conversation that people are having is like, surely winning a World Cup adds a little bit more weight. Yes, it does. Um, or we all like to think it does. But Annie Farrell, like, Ireland winning the Six Nations or grand slamming the Six Nations, going on a 17 or 18 game winning streak. Um, yeah, just uh, just incredible. I don't have an issue with that. Um, Mark Tillier, breakthrough player of the year. I don't have a massive issue with that. I thought Manny was in with a shout. 
Um, but you know, you can't really argue that. And then the team, the team is interesting because that comes from like guys, if you look at that, you can't, you can argue that South Africans will make part of that team in places, but have they played well? Have they played enough? Not have they played well, have they played enough since November last year? Because I think Ireland went unchanged in their in their starting 15 for like 400 tests. And it's difficult with the Springboks <laughs> when, we, when we're sending like a whole batch of guys over to Argentina before the games even played on Saturday, the previous game, the previous week in South Africa. So we chopped and changed. It's difficult to argue that we deserve players. Um, I thought Franz Malherbe was probably the only one that really deserved to get a look in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like we've, if they, if they were naming a squad, a squad of, of, of the year or a squad over the last four years, we'd definitely win it because we have like starting members littered all over our, 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 our 33. So, you know, it, it's tough arguments. But I think South Africans, you know, we're very like competitive. We want to win everything. And it's really difficult to win a World Cup and then say that your coach isn't good enough, you know. Then we get, it gets personal and then we want to bash it. I think, Shona... The Audi one, for example, for me was, I think it, it felt like it was a shootout between Eben and Audi in the World Cup final to see who was going to win. And I think Audi did, did edge that. I mean, I got no qualms with the issues with Audi winning player there. I think the coach of the year one for me, it's, it's, it's tricky because Andy Farrell is, is, is definitely had a, an incredible run. I think what, for me, what edges towards Jacques is, I mean, we did in that period go 12 out of 14. If you look at, I think it's 22nd yes. November is a starting day. We did go 12 out of 14, and then you obviously winning the World Cup. And I think what for me hurt Andy Farrell is they didn't go in the World Cup. They 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 were they they, were, they got in the World Cup with, with expectation, being best side in the world. It built this built an incredible side and lost in a quarterfinal. Yes, yes, the vet at 17 straight is an incredible achievement, but they 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 went into the World Cup high expected, high favorites to big favorites to win this World Cup. And they lost, and I think that does play a factor into that because because it's not like the box were eight out of fourteen. We lost two games, and yes, we lost to Ireland and mm. the All Blacks, but there are record wins against Wales. There's record wins against the All Blacks as well. There are big performances there we've that we've that we've put in, and I, and I think for me that edge of the, the fact that Ireland had all that expectation and didn't deliver. It's if they'd lost the World Cup final, fine. I'll be like, you know what, these Oaks have won. 18, 19 straight, I get it. But they did come to the level of expectations and the first form of knockout rugby, they did lose. Unfortunately, if, if the margins are, are that close, I would lean to the guy who's one who, who went on to, to, to win the World Cup. And the player of the year, player of the year one, I mean, team of the year, I'm also in a similar boat where I think you're probably arguing for, for me it was Marks and, and Manhelba, but again, it's, it's fine margin between Dan Sheehan and Marks and, and Marks had the injury, so... It is it, it it is it is fine it is it is fine margins, but I I do I do think that Jacques Nienaber deserved to be coach of the year because the funny thing is in 2019 Warren Gatland grand slammed Six Nations, lost the semi final, didn't get nominated for coach of the year. So I'm like so it's like so you go so what's the what's the president then if you know yeah, yeah. So, like so like what's the president then like that's that that's what I understand but. I mean, no issues to Andrew Farrell. I think I, th- I think he was absolutely fantastic. So, but I sort of given that to Jacques. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough. Like I also wanted Jacques Nienaber to win it. I'd, absolutely. Um, 
And uh, but you know, Ireland, if you think about it, if it's a straight shootout, because it it should be a straight shootout between uh, Jacques and and Farrell, is Ireland only lost one game during that period, and they beat the Springboks, where we lost two games in that period, and we lost to Ireland, one of them. So. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's an it can go either way. I think I'd like to know how close it was, um, but just for just for a massive like screw you to all the haters, I would have loved Jockey Nama to win it just just because we can. I think this just shows, and I think my biggest problem with the selection, at least of the team of year, was um, Todd Furlong who. Actually, barely played much of 2023 because he and was he wasn't that good this year. Stuff. He was good last year. Yeah, yeah. Like I think that was a reputation pick, but I think it's because they use former players to select these um, awards, and I think this this should be done by like the press or maybe like I mean, Jared has written about this or wrote about this last year. It should be like maybe the coach and the captain, like they do with the um, with the football awards. Or should be the media that selects it because I do worry. I mean, with all due respect to all of these amazing former players, that I don't know if they're watching all of their teams and all of the games, and it's not just sort of like, oh, I mean, if you're talk, talking about tight ends, Furlong should be the guy. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think there needs to maybe be a better voting process, and yeah, I guess like transparency and all that sort of stuff would help because I guess this is usually in a World Cup year, like most awards would go to the winning team. So yeah, that is also an issue. So I think World Rugby should also say this award is from this date to this date, or this is just a World Cup only thing. Or they should do actually what also what football does in World Cups is during the presentations of the gold medals, just say the player of the tournament is this person and whatever, 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 and have all those sort of awards there. And then you can have your player of the year the next day, whatever the case is. So I think, again, I mean, most things with World Rugby are just, if you communicate things better, you solve most of your problems. It's absolutely wild to think that Eben Etzebeth is the only player from the Springboks that got anything out of the awards this year. Like the only player stroke coach of this current crop, and he made it into the team of the year. He didn't even get player of the year. Like it's when you think about it like that, it's absolutely crazy. I mean, John Smith won 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 an award for for what he's for some things he's done. I can't even remember what it was. Um, I think Hall of Fame, or was he not no, Hall of Fame? No, he got another another award about ah. his involvement in the game. Um, but I mean, if you think about it like that, if if I if I show you the way the Springboks have played this whole year and got us going on to win um, the World Cup. And tell you that Ibn Etzebe is the only player that got something out of this batch of players, and it was actually just a, a, a name in the in the team of the year, which really, it, like, what is it compared to the rest? Not really a hell of a lot. Um, it's crazy. <laughs> okay, let's end off on this because I think we are running out of time. Let's just yeah, let's just laugh at people basically for the <laughs> next few minutes. I mean, we I'm can in- do a proper World Cup review maybe during the course of the next few days. Um, Cooks, I don't know who's had a worse last two months than Eddie Jones. I'll let you take the floor. <laughs> yo, yo, yo. Not, not, mm. not him quitting the day after the World Cup final like you think you're going to miss it because you're busy celebrating. No, 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 no. We saw it, Eddie. We saw you just <laughs> quitting here on a Sunday. But yeah, no. 
I love how you say two months. You could say 10 months, Tyler. I mean, since he took over. It's, it's, not, it's not been great. Um, oh, jeez. No, they, the Wallabies, Australian rugby is in such a mess. I think they must go. Is a country allowed to go on a sabbatical? I don't like artists of years taking sabbatical next year. I think we should need to take a sabbatical. Just like, take the year off next year. Just figure things out. Like, just be like, we're not playing the rugby championship. It's going to, like, let Japan come in for a year or like Fiji. Like, I think Australia should take the year off of rugby. Just, 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 just think. Just breathe. Just be like, guys, what are we going to do? Because, like, imagine, they can't go to Day Rennie, really like, listen, you made a mistake. So, can you, you know, take, like, rebuild your, your process? I mean, to sign someone for six years, a five year contract in January and you fire <laughs> and he quits 10 months later, that is, oh, How man. How sure oh. must you be to give someone that? <laughs> and, and, like, what makes it even crazier is there's a Lions tour coming and you're hosting the World Cup. Like, everything <laughs> that is rugby is happening in Australia in the foreseeable future. And, and they're going to give no, the guy, like... And you have now they have no head coach. They've got so much happening, like you said. Like, so now... So basically, Eddie Jones went to France to see the sites and just took a bunch of young kids. To have croissants. Just a bunch of kids. That's so what he did. Like croissants, it's like the thing, like, I remember, like, in primary school, like, in grade six, we used to go to Nasna for the week. And it's like, the heart of the trip, you, you know, you look at the birds of Eden, you look at stuff like that. It wasn't, like, for, like, educational use. It was, like, a nice trip out, you know, just camping. It was, I think that's what Eddie Jones is, like, but he just really wanted to spend time with, like, Carter Gordon and, and, and Ben Donaldson and, and, like, some of those youngsters to get, get to know them on a personal level. See, like, I think that's what he did. And then now he's, like, <laughs> and then he got paid handsomely for it. And now he's gone. Like, in January, they had, they had Dave Rennie in camp. It was the first team to be in camp, besides obviously the Six Nations side, for the World Cup. And then if they fired him, played a game on a Thursday, played a game at Hoppers 4 in the morning, got knocked out of the World Cup. Now they have no coach. This is what you call justice and vindication. I want to know <laughs> who they are hiring to go with their hats in their hand, looking at the floor and walking up to Quade Cooper, Michael Hooper, all those big boys that they said were causing shit in the squad or weren't good enough for the squad or whatever. Because they might as well hire, you, sure, they you, must hire Drew Mitchell while they edit. They might as well. Like, let's do that. Like, <laughs> like you're there anyway. Like, what? G Brown, like, coaching staff. G Brown, podcast has been sensational. They, they, oh, man, I, I don't know they what to do. That is a mess that I don't know where to even start unpacking. Like, what I love what about Eddie Jones, do? he left, like, what do you do? <laughs> like, what? So, who, so, firstly, who's available to coach? So, okay, to be fair, a lot of coaches worth, um, worth their salt have um, exit clauses if they're coaching club side. So, they have exit clauses for international stuff. That's what Eddie Jones had at the Stormers. But, yeah, like, what are you going to do? Like, a lot of the guys, like Robbie Deans, I don't think they're going to go back to anyone. Um, that's the other thing. Like, what's going to happen? What about Matt Williams? Isn't he available? He's been talking a lot. He knows a lot. <laughs> He's Australian. Maybe he can help them. He knows a lot. Jeez. I thought Cook's saying that they all deserve this because of the Thursday thing was the worst thing you could say to Australian rugby fans. But Sean's saying that, Matt Williams should coach the Wallabies. That's the worst thing you can say to the Australians right now. That's that's brutal, man. 
Did you hear that? I mean, in that he had an interview with Peter Fitzsimmons and he said that like Hooper and Cooper, they had the wrong like mentality for the team and they like basically brought bad vibes or like non-winning vibes to the team. Like he really like, he, he blew the place up and left. Like can, can, I can't, Carlo. I can't think of worse like coaching tenure for, for an international rugby coach. Tell it. This is Michael Hooper, the guy that has given absolutely everything for the Wallaby jersey. Been the only standout player, been a captain forever, probably one of the nicest guys. You're telling me he's giving bad vibes. Then Quade <laughs> Cooper, Quade Cooper, granted, in the beginning, it was a shit show, but he's come back from an Achilles tear, fought his way in, spoken about his journey and how he has grown as, as a human and fighting and all he wanted to do was play for the Wallabies again and put shit right. You're telling me that they, I mean, look at him, like, look at how he's just all so pumped about and so happy for everyone. You're telling me that those guys are bringing bad vibes. Like I'm a massive Eddie Jones. I was a massive Eddie Jones fan. I, I really believed in what he did and how he did things. And I thought it was shit of England to drop him. But yeah, he's really fucked this, eh? excuse my language. Yeah. Good luck to Japan. Um, Cooks, one final fraud or loser from this World Cup weekend. Novak Djokovic being caught with Rita Ora in the cameras. What happened there? Man, they caught they they, they caught they caught him live in the in the mix there. I was like, whoa! They almost forgot um, <laughs> where he was. It's almost like Novak Djokovic forgot that he was like he has the most Grand Slams and he's at the Rugby World Cup and cameras might find him. Like it's like he forgot about that part. Like we just <laughs> would not would not um, he would not just acknowledge it. But that that did make me laugh. And also I must say, talking about Novak Djokovic. It must be the best thing in the world in the Springbok camp having Sia as a captain. Imagine having Roger Federer in the change room just because of Sia. Like, oh, hey guys, is it fine if my mate Roger just pulls in here for a few photos? Like, he really, li- he really likes you guys, and Roger Federer is in your change room. Like, I feel bad for the next Springbok <laughs> captain because who, who are they mates with? Like, who are they mates with? Like, who, who are they gonna pull to come the change room when you win the World Cup in 2027? Now, like, look, can your arms there? Now he's gonna bring Cubs and and and, and Maporisa. I'm like, oh, like, what must you do? What must you do with these guys? Like. Something is red, like like CS bringing in Jared, like Jared Butler, and he's bringing in um, like Roger Federer. Like these are the guys he's, he's bringing to our celebrations now. Like, like imagine being the next captain. Like, what if it's like what if it's like Kitsy? Like, like, like Kitsy's gonna be like a someone who makes his beers. Like, he's my mate Jockey. Uh, uh, he makes beers, the stuff. So if you don't know anything about beers, <laughs> here's he is like wins a few photos with the guys. So just no pressure from the Springboard captain. I get the whole back to back World Cups thing, but you, they have to, the next Springboard captain has to up their game in terms of their mates. Very, very, very quickly. Andre Pollard, you better bring in, I don't know, like Jason Momoa. I mean, there's a lot of stars there that World Cup final game. So I think Jason Momoa, Trekkers Duplessis was there. Like, yeah, they, they, they clearly brought in all the superstars to get that game. I don't know. Who, yeah, that next Primark coach, I mean, captain has to definitely get all of his stars up. I mean, yeah, we're not even going to be impressed if you bring in like someone like Charlize Theron or something like that. We're like, yeah, I mean... <laughs> We just had Roger Federer here. Oh. Need to bring the vibes to be a Springboard captain. Sean, any other very quick losers or frauds that you want to call out? Oh, Tyler. Um, I, it's probably the, the, the opposite. I think England were, were very interesting during that. I still don't think like they really it was interesting the way they got and how close they got to the final, but I think they probably paid a little bit outside of themselves. Um, but interesting to see how where they go. Um, the other fraud, uh, it's a bit harsh to say that, but 
Ireland, are they ever going to advance past a quarterfinal? This was their best opportunity to do it. Um, Sean, do you know what Ireland yeah. should do? They should, every <laughs> single test match, they must play a different team than their last one. Make 15 changes every single week. Because uh, clearly this whole thing of um, structure, Liberty. building, building depth, it's not working anymore. Leinster. So you pick a team every week. You basically have like a squad of like 60 guys who've got like three caps each and then go into the next World Cup and hope. Because this thing, I don't know what's going on. Like, like they, your oh, shame. I actually, I feel bad for them. Like, they're still convinced they're the best team in the world. And it's, it, it, it's fine. They can be the best team in URC. And like, someone's like, oh, the box won. But Ireland, like, I still back them to beat the box any day of the week, which is fine because you play them next year three times. So at least they can win that title of beating the box. <laughs> but, um, no, Ireland, shame. It's, hey, 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 hey. They need Sangoma there, guys. I'm still adamant. They, are they going to, like, where, where to from here for Ireland? Because I, I, what happens if they start going on, like, this massive winning streak and Grand Slam the Six Nations again and all that sort of stuff and then start the whole cycle again? You there's, know? there's no winning for Ireland. Literally, only, only thing Ireland can do now, it's kind of like, I mean, this happens in American sports as well. Like, you can win all of your regular season games. If you fail in the playoffs, it doesn't matter at all. So Ireland could literally go 40 test matches unbeaten. No one's going to take them seriously until they win a knockout game. At least next World Cup, there'll be a last 16 game. I hope <laughs> Ireland can win that. But oh, I mean, I'm sure everything. with their luck... That is like they'll get the box on New Zealand. Oh, I, would, <laughs> I would love Ireland to get knocked out in the round of 16. Yeah, that imagine, would. Imagine them winning their first knockout game in a World Cup <laughs> and then getting knocked out in the Against quarters. USA. <laughs> I'm surprised oh, they didn't no. try. I'm surprised they didn't try to do the, the Junior World Cup bidding like tournament format and be like, just bid for the World Cup not to have quarterfinals. Like, listen, let's just go straight semis. Let's go group semis. <laughs> let's skip this whole quarterfinal phase. It's not important. The World Cup is too long anyway. So let's go group stages, semis. <laughs> Man. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I still, after two, two or so weeks, still don't know what Ireland can do now because that yeah, was crazy, they genuinely man. have they're no, no lose or no win situation for at least the next four years now. Like, I wonder yeah. what the, I wonder but, what the odds were of them getting knocked out in the quarterfinals before the World Cup started. It couldn't have like would have been high, surely. Especially the form now. Absolutely crazy, man. Um tell any other fraud watches from Gone. No, no, you you can tell us. You any fraud watch? I mean, we've, we've mentioned I think thing. the big ones. <laughs> we've mentioned the big ones. I think we've mentioned. I mean, yeah, I, I should have I wanted to do this during the World Cup of like, you know releasing a fraud watch list after every team gets knocked out. I should have done that earlier, but the, the moment's gone. But yeah, look, I mean, you can't really beat Eddie Jones, to be honest. I think he's, he's definitely number one. Um, yeah, I, 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 you can't, you really, there isn't too much you can say to that. Look, I mean, our moratorium on saying bad things about a certain Australian ref, I'm not his name. I think Friday tested a lot of people's patience again. Um, apparently, it was a quite an entertaining game on Friday. I didn't watch it because I told you guys I won't watch any third, fourth place playoff with England and Argentina. But yeah, apparently, he had a Hall of Shame performance again. Um, but yeah, Australian rugby, yeah, not good. But at least they, the Wallaroos are now the Utrecht Shield holders because they beat France um, on the weekend. So 
they had their first, I think, first victory against France or first victory against France in a long time. And yeah, they are now the lineal champions of, of world rugby. So both the Springboks and the Wallaroos are the lineal champions in the Utrecht and the Rayburn Shield. Shield. Yeah, we won it back. I'm s- I actually yes. meant you mentioned that. I wrote it down this morning and I completely forgot. I'm so glad you brought it up. But yeah, Rayburn Shield holders. And we face off against Ireland next year, first game up to, to vend yeah. it, don't we? Oof. That'll be that, that July series is going to be amazing because, yeah, obviously these guys are going to come back all firing. And, yeah, we <laughs> again, need to... no, like they'll, they'll probably win that series and, this, and Nanook is going to be impressed. That's we need to a, sort a, out. We need to sort out this um, our Guijos beforehand. I know we said we must chat to the Guijo squad guys, but we've got to get this going. We need, especially us white South Africans who struggle with this stuff, man. We need to get all this stuff together. We need to know the words. We need to get it ready for 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 when Ireland come next year. Like maybe we just have two for the first Test match and we get into the groove, and then by the end of the series we can have three or four that we can be chanting. But we, like, come on. We need some help here. Yeah, I think we, we do a song a month and then just blend people in through that. Yeah, because we have to hear zombies again, please. Cooks, any final thoughts? I just, I'm very excited that the World Cup is done, that, um, that this forward passes is going to be actual rule again. I mean, the last few weeks, we just abandoned forward passes. I mean, like the Argentina game, where the guy basically threw a flip, where the guy basically like, threw a play American football and <laughs> no one called it, but... I'm excited for Ford Passes to go again, but again, the, my lasting legacy, and and I'll and I always thank World Rugby for this, is that we avoided England Wales in a game this this World Cup, and it's it's the small things for me that that matter. Um, so not not having seen England Wales in the World Cup is is it's it's, it's almost as sweet as winning back to back World Cups because I was trying, I was dreading that game. <laughs> yeah, no one wanted to see that game. Guys, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to this awesome episode of the Rugby Bits podcast. Thank you so much for supporting us throughout the tournament as well. We really appreciate all the good feedback and all the, yeah, the nice um, commentary that we've gotten and yeah, like the questions that we've like people have asked and everything. We really appreciate it. We do try to address as much as possible, and yeah, we hope that we can continue the journey as well with you and any new fans that we've gotten over the last few weeks as well. Thank you so much for following us on social media and on the podcast platforms as well. And yeah, we hope that as the, I mean, <laughs> there's no really race for the wicked um, in terms of rugby because there's still small matters of URC and premiership. But as Cooks told me on Sunday, like we don't look at that and, and at least in the next few weeks, we'll let the likes of Wales and, and Scotland worry about that. But if once Cooks is finished with his hibernation, I'm sure we'll, the rest of us will be talking about or the domestic rugby that's happening in the next few weeks. But yes, thank you so much. Please follow us on our social media channels. Please follow us on our podcast platform as well. Please visit our Rugby Bits um, website as well, and we'll see you uh, next time. Cheers, guys. Goodbye from the World Champions. <laughs> <laughs>